You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome everybody to the Oz Network as we come to you once again for another movie recap. This week it is continuing our end of the world month. Yes, the month that we didn't think we'd have to do when the world is actually ending, but we're here and we're excited. Very excited actually, not for the end of the world, but to do this movie recap because this movie... It's one of my all-time favourite movies. I, I'm still regretting not putting this in my top 50 movies of all time. I thought I did, but apparently I'm stupid, and I didn't. We are here to do The Day After Tomorrow, the 2004 Roland Emmerich block, block, Blockbluster. 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 Yes. That's it. We're making a new <laughs> word up, the Blockbluster. Uh, an epic movie starring the legendary... Emmy Rossum, also yes. featuring Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid, Jake Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal, whatever you want to say, Dash Mihawk, uh, Ian Holm, <laughs> Ian Holm, I'll see, it, was, it was my next one, um, RJ Smith, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really gets a bit stretched thin after a couple of big names, but this is a great movie, a movie that we would probably say six months ago was incredibly relevant, that this movie considering the way the world is at the moment around the subject matter, very relevant to today. And then a pandemic happened, and we've kind of forgotten about that little Swedish girl and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm excited to talk about this. My name is Ben for Manchester United. Uh, And my name is Colin, and these tornadoes are forming so fast. Oh, 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 my God. Lisa, are you getting this on camera? The tornado just erased the Oz Network sign. The Oz Network sign is gone. It's shredded. <laughs> yeah, we just said off air, this movie doesn't really have many quotes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for such a great movie, it's not very quotable. Like, all the lines nope. in the... I remember all the lines in the trailer, like, save as many people as you can, and Mr. Vice President, if we don't act now, it's going to be too late. But... That's not a funny quote for us to do here. I mean, I only dropped the Manchester United line because that's the team I go for. And that guy's weird-looking and funny and stuff. But um, anyway... That line, and then I'm like, I don't even know what Manchester United is, so I'll leave it for Ben. (laughs) I was going to say, uh, I don't even think you'd heard of soccer, really. Um, I've heard of soccer. It it is a thing. (laughs) Because you've only heard about it every four years when your women win a bronze medal, right? Uh, <laughs> you have Colin, the World it, Cup in six years, Colin. You better hurry up and get into it more. It's the one with the white and black striped ball. Yes, exactly. That's that's the one. They and Manchester United use it. Yes, they, they do. Use their foot where you wear your sock, hence the title soccer. Have you heard of David Beckham? I have. I've he, seen Ben like Beckham. He played for Manchester United. Does, Oh. You've got a connection. There you go. You, Manchester United. All right. <laughs> um, we've, we've talked this movie up. Uh, we're both big fans of this movie. And uh, this is this is one of those ones I think I said last week that when we started doing this show and started covering different movies outside of Survivor, not that Survivor's a movie, but other things outside of Survivor, that this was always one of those movies I thought, like, yeah, it'd be great to cover the day after tomorrow because... I, I, I've seen this movie countless times, obsessed with it. We'll we'll get into our background with it in just a second, but 
yeah, I was very excited when End of the World Month came up and pretty much like, day after tomorrow, we have to do day after tomorrow because I don't know what it is about this movie. There, there are definitely parts of this movie which I can see aren't really that good and it kind of slows down a lot in the second half. But still, I, I just weirdly love this movie still. And 16 years later, I watched this last night with a big smile on my face. Yeah, I'm exactly the same as you. Um, I could have easily put this in my top 50 best of movies list as happens with a lot of movies we cover on here when you sit down you have to take notes on it you're like uh is this as good as i thought but i mean there there's something really fun about this movie and yet i can't even put my finger on it because it's not like it has these it's got a couple of good action sequences it's not like it has like really compelling characters or anything i mean there's definitely a lot of the the d stories that i'm just groaning during but yeah there's nothing that i don't enjoy about this movie and it's one of these that I will put on all the time. I'll, I'll put it on guaranteed every single summer I put on day after tomorrow. I think summer is a time when you, for whatever reason, at least me, I always want to watch disaster movies. Uh, so I watch it at least every summer. But then it'll just be something that I randomly put on when I go to bed every single night. I, I, I mentioned this is one of these things where I've seen it enough times that Jamie just tells me, watch the day after tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. It's it's such a fun movie. And, and you know, the cast in it, despite the fact that most of them really get nothing to do, it's it's more in line with what a disaster movie is as opposed to Twister, you know, that we covered uh, years ago now, where it's definitely about a disaster, but it doesn't really follow the disaster movie formula. You know, this one does where you have 12, 15, you know, actors, you've got five or six minor storylines going on. You're following, you know, people who aren't even connected. It's just it's. It's probably the one modern disaster movie that just really nailed the formula that started in the 70s. Roland Emmerich is the king of these movies, and we've still got another one of his to cover this month. We've, we've done Godzilla. Uh, is that the only Roland Emmerich one we've done, I think, isn't it? Yeah, we haven't yeah. done Independence Day. How have we not done Independence Day? But, uh, you know, the master of this, and clearly gets off on destroying the world. But um, I think when you said, like, this is maybe the last great modern one i'd probably agree with that i mean it's not to take away from 2012 2012 is a fun movie and we'll get to that mm. in a couple of weeks but 2012 is a dumb fun movie yeah. um <laughs> but like if you look at sort of end of the world movies after this i mean i was reliving geostorm last night through some clips <laughs> on youtube god that movie's terrible and that's kind of day after tomorrow with terrorism uh, <laughs> which plot of the movie gerard butler creates a weather system that Controls the weather and it's just think about it, it's dumb. San Andreas was okay. I mean, that wasn't really end of the world. It was kind of mm-hmm. end of the it's West still Coast. still disaster though. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't really think I've never seen Knowing with Nicolas Cage. I've really wanted to, but I've, I've never seen it. Um, I mean, that really was been, actually not that bad. There haven't been that many end of the world movies, I feel, after, after this one. But, and I think kind of you say like the last great one. I mean, this is what, seven years removed from, uh, well, six years removed from Armageddon, Deep Impact, you know, uh, eight years removed from Independence Day. And these are a bit more over-the-top end-of-the-world movies where kind of they're prominent so much more for their action scenes like, you know, New York, Washington, LA get blown up in Independence Day. You know, what do we say? New York, Paris, uh, there's an Asian city that, uh, I don't know whereabouts in Asia it is in Armageddon that gets destroyed. You know, Deep Impact New York obviously gets destroyed. There's a whole bunch of destruction going on in, in those movies. Twister, as you said, I mean, not necessarily like an end of the world disaster movie, but you still got these amazing sequences of tornadoes destroying, you know, Wakita. Um, but <laughs> it, it's still like you remember them for these grand action scenes. Not to say you don't in this movie because we'll talk about it, but as weird as this is going to sound, because... 
I pointed out to you off air, and we'll talk about this at one point. This has been listed as one of the ten most scientifically inaccurate movies of all time. I feel that this movie is kind of a bit more grounded in realism, and like I'm not saying it's yeah. a realistic movie, but I think it's the way it's done. Like it's not so over the top end of the world. You you maybe it's. I don't know, it's the mood of this movie where you kind of almost connect with these people more and you feel, holy crap, like, this is a big thing. I care a little bit more. And maybe that's just because they're going for that because it's climate change. This is a thing we're doing, people. Wake up. And I think, I don't know, if you've ever seen, like, the classic 70s disaster movies like Towering uh, yeah. Inferno? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I mean, the original was The Poseidon Adventure. And to me, this feels more like The Poseidon Adventure, whereas 2012 is more like The Towering Inferno, where we're just going to have the action get bigger and bigger and bigger. Whereas with The Poseidon Adventure, it was one big disaster sequence, you know, a third of the way or halfway through the movie. And then it was just the survival story. And to, I think the fact that you're saying this is more grounded, it, it comes down to the fact that after the big disaster happens, it is just a survival story. And the action scenes we have are just what would happen after the disaster. You know, we're not seeing giant waves at the end of the movie, you know, like we see a deep impact or an asteroid hurtling towards earth. I mean, that happens halfway through the movie. And then it's just what happens with these characters. And I can definitely you know, see the scientific inaccuracy part, but Roland Emmerich was 100% aware of that. And I don't think anybody can really argue scientifically inaccurate outside of just the timeline of this movie. And they even constantly bring up the fact that like the timeline is happening very quickly in this movie. It's like, this should be happening over the course of a hundred years. Like, no, we're going to do over the course of a hundred hours instead, <laughs> you know? And, and 2012 has a lot in common with that too, except for the fact that they, they go so big and so over the top with the action scenes that it doesn't seem as plausible. And I think like, look, it's, it's all well and good to be able to go like, Oh, this is scientifically inaccurate because I mean, this is one of those movies that no matter when you release it, you're going to be like, holy crap, is this possible? You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's it's literally a movie about something that climate change is a big deal and people are going like, holy fuck, is this is what's going to happen? I will stop, you know, driving to work tomorrow. I will print less paper out, you know, stuff like that. But, like, at the same time, it's like, it is a movie. I mean, it's Roland Emmerich. I mean, what, four, six years ago before this, he did a movie about a giant radioactive lizard destroying New York, um, yeah. you know, and things like that. And, like you know, Independence Day and all this sort of stuff. I mean, this is what I love about Roland Emmerich. He kind of just goes to town on these sort of things. And it's, it's a popcorn flick, you know. We, yeah. we, we do live in a day and age now where movies are so much more grounded and they get picked apart even more today. I mean, imagine if Day After Tomorrow was released at the height of Greta Thunberg last year and all this kind of stuff would be even picked apart even more. But there's nothing wrong with a cheap popcorn flick that you're going to go and, and see a couple of cities get destroyed. I mean, that's... I weirdly love the disaster genre. I love mm -hmm. seeing these things get destroyed. But I think, yeah, like going back to your point about, you know, the, the second half, and you definitely hit the nail on the head when it comes to the survival bit because, you know, all those movies I mentioned before, there's a build-up to everything, isn't there? Like, I mean, Armageddon mm -hmm. Deep Impact, it's a build-up to are we going to stop this, you know, asteroid from hitting the planet? You know, even Twister, it's kind of, it's a build-up to the biggest tornado. We need to get rid of, you know, Dorothy into the tornado. Are we going to succeed? Independence Day, we've got to kill the aliens because, you know, they keep destroying the Earth. Here, kind of all the the big dramatic stuff happens halfway through, and then the rest is, you know, let's say... It's Jake getting colder. Gyllenhaal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to let Jake Gyllenhaal freeze. Look at his beautiful face. Yeah. Uh, you know, can I just say Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't age. Just, just, no. He looks as good as he does in this movie as he did in Spider-Man Far From Home. Good on you, Jake. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he's got a little bit more hair. Uh, yeah, he does. <laughs> a little bit 
beardier in Spider-Man Far, Far From Home. You know, it was funny about Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, I'll give you Jamie's perspective here. I, I can't even tell you how many times we've seen this movie. I can't tell you how many times I've seen other Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal has been one of my favorite actors since his first real movie, October Sky. Do you ever see October Sky? Never seen him. And that's one that I'm like, okay, right now, if we turn around and redo our top 50 movies, that's in the top half for me. Like, I'm shocked that I forgot that one. Uh, but uh, d- despite the fact we've seen all these movies over and over again, October Sky, a couple of weeks ago, I decided to put it on. And Jamie was like, ooh, who's this guy? And I'm like, how do you <laughs> not know Jake Gyllenhaal? We have watched, like, every one of his movies. Suddenly, she's really into him now. Of course, he was you know, a teenager when he made that movie. <laughs> As she pointed out, it's like, I'm not doing anything with him. I can fully appreciate him. And now she wants to watch Jake Gyllenhaal and everything. And in this one, you know, one of the first notes I made was uh, uh, Jamie uh, appreciating the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal was at least legal when this movie <laughs> came up. But like, in, in all fairness, even if you go a couple of years prior to this, I guess five years prior to this, October Sky, when he was like 17 years old, I mean, he still looks exactly the same. He's playing a 17-year-old here. And if you were to go forward a couple of years, you know, Zodiac, uh, a few years after this, you know, he's obviously older at that point. He's playing a character that's older. But yet, to me, he still looked like he was a teenager when he did Zodiac. Does Jamie realize that when he was a teenager, he was still older than her? So, like, kind of, yes. you know. <laughs> um, Mallory was exactly the same in the lead up to Spider-Man Far From Home. Because, again, I was sort of like, oh, you know, this is in it. Jake Gyllenhaal's the bad guy. And she's like, oh, who's Jake Gyllenhaal? Are you serious? Like, Jake Gyllenhaal, like, he's, you know, a pretty big name actor. And then all of a sudden, like, she saw him and was like, oh, yeah, he's attractive. Um, And then I think, because you know how they do those little quirky videos? I think Variety posts them. It's kind of like of an actor and they will get, like, um, a Google search. So they'll type, like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal will read out things that Google are searching about him. Uh, so there's one of him and Ryan Reynolds. So it's it's actually kind of really funny. I think they've got a bit of a bromance and Mallory loves Ryan Reynolds. So, yeah. And, like, I'm just looking at his filmography. I mean, I hold Donnie Darko against him because I hate that movie. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm I not one of these hipster people who are like, oh, it's so edgy and great and one of the best movies of all time. It's just dumb. It makes no sense. Um, there's a rabbit in there somewhere, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never seen Brokeback Mountain. Uh, here it's good. Uh, probably, is that more of my target audience, uh, Colin, than yours? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, saw most of Brokeback Mountain. It, it's, to me, it was just boring, you know? But, I mean, it's Ang Lee, so Ang Lee, you know, he's, he makes different types of movies, and I can appreciate that. Uh, I've always wanted to see Zodiac. Uh, oh, you haven't seen Zodiac? Well, one of the reasons why I want to see that, and this is just a weird reason, is because I know Jason Wiles is in it. Uh, one of the few roles that Bosco from Third Watch has kind of had a movie role. I think he plays literally like a lab tech. Like, he's not got a big role in it. Um, but, uh, you oh, know, it's I of, know who you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's you know one of my favourite TV actors, or I'd say favourite <laughs> actors, uh, who really should have been in bigger things, and sadly he hasn't been. He's playing a lab tech in Zodiac. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, he, I, I've just... I think we talked about this with some other actors in the last few weeks, but Jake Gyllenhaal is just one of these actors I've always liked. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with this movie. Because uh, I'm pretty sure I'd seen Donnie Darko before I'd seen The Day After Tomorrow, but then because I love this movie so much, I kind of... You know, I love Dennis Quaid. I, I liked him before this, I think. But uh, And Emmy Rossum. I mean, we'll talk about her. She is the mm-hmm. Estella Warren of 2004. Um, <laughs> but uh, but our, our history with this movie, I mean, again, we touched on this last week. We always do this. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't remember when i first saw like a poster or i knew this was a thing but as soon as i knew this was a thing i was obsessed like i was like oh my god like this is incredible it might have been like the first teaser poster with new york under snow 
or it might have been the Statue of Liberty kind of with the wave crashing on it. There was some form of, of marketing that I saw that clearly I knew this was an end of the world movie and clearly I'm like, boom, yep, I'm going to see that. And I think I also mentioned too last week that maybe Die Another Day was the first one because it was a Bond movie, but this is the movie besides Die Another Day that I've really like, I've waited for trailers. Every single teaser, I've known when it's coming out, I'm watching it. This is obviously like pre-social media, so... I think I had live journal I might have had back then, you know, so like you were, you were getting, I don't even know how, how did we get news in 2004 without social media? I can't remember. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'd be watching the trailers on dial-up internet, the little teasers, and then even the, the marketing web, the marketing sort of campaign, the viral marketing stuff was really clever because they kind of had this website where you could click on a world map and you could see the effects of what this was going to do. So like there was a, a little video of Sydney and like a tidal wave coming over the the opera house and it was it was really clever and you know when we ever do Independence Day we will talk about that's one of the most cleverest marketed movies I've ever seen in my life was Independence mm-hmm. Day and that was a lot of what made that such a blockbuster was the clever marketing. So I think Roland Emmerich is and Godzilla was very well marketed too. Roland Emmerich smart yeah. when it comes to the marketing. Let, let's give him props for that. Um, and then I saw this movie opening day. I saw it again not long after, and this is the first movie I'd ever seen at the cinemas, at least during its initial theatrical run, three times. So obsessed with this movie. I bought it the, the day it came out in DVD. I was basically there at 9am to buy it the first day. I remember um, I was in year 11 at the time, and in my journalism class, I remember going down and getting it and then coming back, and my teacher was like, oh, what have, what have you got there? I'm like, oh, Day After Tomorrow movie. Like, oh, I wanted to see that. Bugger it, the whole lesson's off. Let's all watch Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so we all went to like the, mo- the little uh, movie room at our, at our college, and we all just watched The Day After Tomorrow. That was our lesson for the day. So... Um, Nice. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that that's that's my history. I, I don't necessarily watch it once a year. I think I said I haven't probably seen this in a few years, weirdly enough. Maybe I think the last time I saw this, it was on TV. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel bad. I need to watch this movie more because I do love it that much. Uh, I mean, I remember the marketing too. I think I remember hearing about this movie, uh, whether it was something that was just you know on the internet or in the news because Roland Emmerich was returning to kind of a disaster genre and doing one that wasn't sci-fi because i mean if you look at independence day you know well all of his movies at that point i mean he's a universal soldier stargate independence day godzilla and then he took a break for the patriot but he was known for science fiction more than he was disaster and when this was coming out it's like okay he's doing a full-fledged disaster movie i think it was even being called like independence day without aliens you know (laughs) and uh there's a lot of similarities we're gonna see throughout the movie here where it does feel very independence day like um but I don't remember knowing much other than the fact that there was going to be a disaster movie called The Day After Tomorrow. And I think it had been a few years since we had a big disaster movie. So I was sort of waiting for this like you were. And I I still remember the original teaser where it was using like – I think it was using clips of actual – maybe it was stuff that was cut from the movie. But it was kind of made to look like news footage of actual disasters like floods and everything. And then every once in a while they throw a clip of the movie in there. And mm. it didn't show anything with the characters, but it sort of climaxed with like that wave rushing into New York City past the Statue of Liberty and everything. And then, that. yeah, and then the, the the big street shot by the museum. Um, but like it showed nothing other than that. I just remember you know freaking out and uh, being like, it's got uh, one movie and it's gonna have tornadoes and and, and blizzards and, <laughs> and and floods. It's like every disaster rolled into one. I mean. You know, it, when you're young enough, that's all. That's all you need to be hooked. You, know, you don't care about story or anything else like that. And, uh, I remember the, the day that this came out, uh, getting 
tickets to uh, see it. Um, whatever I was working at the time, I had like a short day. Uh, I think it was like my first job too. And I had like a short day where I was off at like one o'clock. And uh, it was payday too. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to get Subway. And then I'm going to walk <laughs> to the movie theater. And then I'm going to watch Independence <laughs> or uh, Day After Tomorrow. And then I'm going to go. <laughs> it's like really exciting. And Independence just, Day uh, too with my Subway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember, especially because this being released, I think it was around Memorial Day. It was um, the, you know, the beginning of summer. And I, I remember it being like the first really hot day, too. And it's one of these things where you walk out of the movie and you start looking at the sky you're like Are those clouds. <laughs> Could this happen? <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you killed us all. <laughs> you nearly but, killed uh, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was such a cool experience and I think it was one of the the last times I remember. You know, when you're young, every time you go to the the movies, it it, it feels like a big experience. This is one of the last times where I, I sat in a theater and it was like, wow, like this is this is what you paid the the extra charge to see it on a big screen for. And there's not a lot of movies after that, you know, other than like franchise things like Star Wars or James Bond where I really got that feeling. Uh, I only saw it the one time that summer too, but like you, you know, when it came out, I had a copy and I was watching it all the time and, you know, still have a copy now. As I said, still watch it at least once a year. Uh, I didn't get to show it to anybody in class. Um, I don't remember if I've shown this movie <laughs> to anybody. Maybe Jamie about 500 times before she actually paid attention and noticed Jake Gyllenhaal was in it. But that's it. I uh, I can't wait to do it. So many reasons I can't wait to do Independence Day. I mean, that made that made my top 10 from memory. I think my, my, my top five favorite movies of all time. But um, I have a great story around when I saw that for the first time. And you talk about that experience of going to the cinema. And like, as you said, outside of those franchise ones. And, and maybe one of my greatest memories of going to the movies came from seeing Independence Day. Um, so, yeah, it really is. Yeah, I'd agree. It's kind of one of those last movies, I think, as a teenager too. Yeah, that kind of had that experience and yeah i can't really remember another one that's not a sequel that's not a star wars movie that's not a you know a, a franchise or something like that um I'd, I'd have to really think about that i have to hurt my little noggin to to kind of do that but it's it's like also with like the trailers and that because you know again what sells you on movies like this it's seeing a giant wave hit the statue of liberty it's seeing a couple of tornadoes over los angeles and i mean this is one of those movies that like I remember I would just randomly, if I was bored, like put on a movie. And sometimes if I didn't feel like watching the whole thing, I'd just watch the destruction scenes. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. cool. Let's watch. Let's watch LA get destroyed. Why not? You know, I just, I, I just had this weird thing about watching cities get destroyed. I don't know why. Um, maybe the FBI. Or it's CSIS a spectacle. Need to, yeah, well, true. I was gonna say they need to listen to me closely, but let's go with the spectacle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> watch that thing, but. Um, it's interesting, actually, and we'll probably get to it when we get to the New York stuff, um, that, you know, Roland got criticised a little bit because, you know, oh, it's so soon after 9-11, you know, watching New York got, get destroyed, it's kind of... this. Is this the last movie we've had where you kind of see New York get destroyed? Because nowadays you think about it, like, a lot of movies don't go for the standard, you know, New... I mean, how many times have we seen New York get destroyed in, like, a eight-year period between 96 and 2004? Well- Funny you say that because I, I think the only other one I can think of is the Avengers. And you remember how much criticism the Avengers got? True. Not even specifically just because it was New York, but just destroying cities. Well, I mean, 2012, you don't see New York get destroyed. Geostorm, you don't. Um, I don't know about knowing. Again, I haven't seen it. Um, I'm sure Bird Box probably has an epic scene where a <laughs> blind thing destroys the Empire State. But I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, neither did anyone else because they're all blind in that movie. Um <laughs> Again, I don't know. I don't know nothing about it. Uh, but yeah, one thing too I'll say as well, um, and I mentioned this last week, this has got one of my f- 
favorite movie scores of all time. And yeah. I think it adds, like, going to that grounded nature of this film, Harold Closer, this theme, it's haunting. Like, it just, mm. it connects with the vo- the vibe and the mood of this film. And I think that's what helps this movie. Like, I love the score for Independence Day. It's one of my favorite scores as well. You know, Twister, we talked about how much you and I love the soundtrack, Unpopular Opinion, but it was great. I mean, what can sell a movie like this is a great score. I'm actually looking at Harold Close's career here. He did the score for 2012, but can I remember the score for 2012? No. Um, Mm. Whereas The Day After Tomorrow, this is one of these scores that I just always remember. Right now, it's literally in my head and it's giving me goosebumps. Uh, it is such an amazing score. Uh, and visually, too, this movie, I think, holds up. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think mm-hmm. that the visuals in this movie look absolutely fantastic. And I was reading a little bit about the making of this film. They they wanted to go with a lot of miniatures because, of course, you know, a lot of what makes Independence Day, I think, still hold up to this day for a lot of part is the great work of miniatures in that movie. Uh, whereas this is only eight years later, but it used 416 visual effect shots. They actually went... Uh, with that route last minute, they were going to do the miniatures. Like, no, 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 let's go for the full-on visual effects. It took over a 1,000 artists a year to do all the visual effects on this movie. So, you know, worked a lot. And I think the early 2000s visual effects are dated now. Like, I mean, we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about 2002 visual effects <laughs> in particular. <laughs> Not exactly standing the test of time, but this is only two years later. And I, I got to say, this uh, surprising to me that this the special effects in this movie still hold up uh, nearly twenty years after it was released. Uh, I think the environment helps that a lot. When we get to some of the sequences, I actually you know, picked out reasons I think that some of these effects look better. The wolves, especially, what's funny is, uh, I mean, they definitely don't look one hundred percent realistic. But if you're comparing it to other two thousand four, you know, CGI animals. These look better than those, and I remember seeing this in the theater and thinking, well, those wolves look terrible, but when you watch it on TV, it's almost the opposite effect of what we're getting from a lot of those 2002 movies, where it looks good on the big screen, and then you watch it on TV, and it looks terrible. This is almost the opposite. Some of the effects look better just because of the way the environment handles it. It doesn't stand out. There's not as much color. What it ultimately comes down to is there's not as much color in this movie. It's got a very bland look. I mean, it looks spectacular, but it's not like you have a thousand colors on screen. You just have water and snow and the things that are interacting with it, like, you know, uh, a ship or wolves are sort of bland and colorless as well. So it's not as obvious, you know, some of the minor mistakes there may be in the CGI uh, with with the score. You know, I agree with you, too, uh, although I don't think that this was one of these things where I noticed the score right away. I think it took because it's it's a much subtler score than Stargate or Independence Day. Uh, or even Godzilla, like you said, haunting. Uh, so I didn't walk out of this being like, I got to get the soundtrack for that. But then the more you watch this movie, you're like, man, this, especially the main theme, like that plays over the opening credits and everything in the closing, is just spectacular. I, I did say last week, I, I made a, a slight mistake. I, um, this was the beginning of Harold Closer collaborating with Roland Emmerich. But what's funny is after this movie, Harold Closer starts writing Roland Emmerich's movies because <laughs> I mean they had such a good working relationship who a guy who had done no writing prior to this he was just a composer suddenly writes the script for 10,000 BC after this and then writes the script for 2012 he becomes the new Dean Devlin for Roland Emmerich and he's just a composer like could you imagine Michael Giacchino suddenly saying you know what I'm gonna write the next J.J. Abrams movie like it would never happen I'd watch that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh, you talk about Dean Devlin. I mean, what was his directorial debut? Geostorm. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he just basically stole, like, Roland Emmerich's brain, but made it shit. Have you, you actually seen Chair Storm? Like, I know you didn't yes. see it. Well, you have seen yeah. it now? It was pretty painful. You oh. want to talk about boring? Like, oh, that was one of the most boring experiences I've had in years. And the thing that I didn't get with that movie, I mean, we could do this for Disaster Movie or Bad Movie Month. Like, it's kind of like, it's sold on, let's destroy the world. You know, he's a Burj Khalifa getting knocked over by a tidal wave and fantastic. All the, like, destruction scenes are basically teased for two seconds and you don't see anything. Yeah. And the rest is about Ed Harris wanting to destroy the world with wind. Like, it's, and Gerard Butler, like, uh, Gerard Butler's just one of these actors that annoy me. Did we not talk about this in Tomb Raider? Like, don't dislike him, but he's like Jason Statham. Don't make him a leading man. They don't have enough charisma to be a lead. They're a side person, not a leading man. Stop making Gerard Butler happen. It's not going to happen. You know, know, uh, in a weird way, I'll agree. Even though I'm I'm actually a Gerard Butler fan, in a weird way, I'll agree with you. This is now the Gerard Butler podcast, but um, (laughs) there's something about him he needs humor and he needs quirkiness to work. Like uh, yes. it's a terrible movie, but he made this romantic comedy, the ugly truth, I which is an awful Catherine Heigl. Heigl. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen and, bits and of it. Terrible movie, but he was really charismatic in that movie. And all the other roles that I really remember him from, you know, weird reference, Reign of Fire, uh, or mm, was it Ring of gosh. Fire, Reign of Fire? Is that Matthew McConaughey, Christian, Christian Bale? Yeah. Oh, he, God. he was like yeah, that's terrible. the support, the supporting role to Christian Bale, and I thought he was the best thing in that movie. So yeah, it, it put him more on the side. You know, there's some people who aren't meant to be leading. Not everybody can be a Jake Gyllenhaal. Dave Batista is another one. Great as a side yes. person. I haven't seen My Spy yet. Don't know. <laughs> it's um, but, on the list. I mean, like Jason Statham. Like that's what annoyed me about the Meg. Like it's kind of like like they look at the Rock and they think, well, it worked for the Rock. The Rock's yeah. different. The Rock's The Rock. Like, I mean, yeah. God, that that guy just looks at you and you're like, oh, my God, he's so charismatic. I love him. Like, The Rock is The Rock. How great is The Rock? Can we just point that out? Dwayne Johnson, you're awesome. Love you, man. I know you're <laughs> listening Johnson to the show. coming soon. <laughs> oh, can we? What a month that would be. Like, Let's even... just skip um, Skyscraper. Talk about a bad disaster movie. There's another bad one. Skyscraper? Ugh. Haven't seen it, but like, come on, that that's just what Die Hard with the Rock having an amputated leg, isn't it? Um, yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, gosh, I love this movie. <laughs> We're not yeah. even talking about it yet. The one thing I will say though, and people are looking at the timestamp of this movie and knowing I'm wrong, but I feel like you know we've taken half an hour to get to the start of the movie, but like a lot of this again can be kind of gelled over because. Let's be honest, mm-hmm. we're talking about they're not being quotable. There's large sections of this movie that we can kind of just lump together, really, because, you know, it's yeah. sort of elongated sequences. I mean, the opening of this movie itself, it's, what, like five minutes of visual effects of ice? Uh, not ground, ice. Ice. <laughs> Come on, give us give us your Arnie. We need your Arnie here. What killed the planet? The Ice Age! <laughs> oh, still like a month after we did that episode, it's gold. Um <laughs> But we're on Antarctica or Antarctica. Is it, do you say it Antarctica like the Americans? Well, I, I guess we'd go more in the middle, like Antarctic, Antar- Antarctica. <laughs> Antarctica. So you're basically <laughs> dropping just the C. It's Antarctica. I can't even say it now that I'm trying. <laughs> it has to come naturally. Antarctica. Antarctica. There we go. A- a- Antarctica. Because that, that was the thing. I remember in like, high school, we did a, um, a project on Antarctica. And our teacher was like, oh, and if you're a stupid American, you say Antarctica. 
Like, you know, it's, it's, there's a sea in the middle of it. Don't forget there's a sea in the middle of it. Um, <laughs> one of my weird dream holiday destinations, I would love to go to Antarctica. It's just, it's something that has always fascinated me. And growing up in Hobart, we were the uh, Australian headquarters for Antarctic research. We actually were even the French um, global headquarters. <laughs> like, they had a station in Hobart because obviously we're technically pretty close to Antarctica compared to Winnipeg. Although, having yeah. said that, judging the weather, you'd probably assume Winnipeg's closer to Antarctica than Hobart I could is. survive it, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm used to the climate. We are on the Larsen B ice shelf, and we meet our dynamic trio featuring Dennis Quaid. Uh, have, you, have you seen the skit Dennis Quaid did for Ellen that went viral? No. Basically, um, he got mic'd up. Like, he, he went into... Um, like a jumbo juice and Ellen like put a hidden microphone in his ear and basically just like she had to tell him everything to say. So she basically made him like walk in there and go, I'm Dennis Quaid. Uh, I want a jumbo juice. <laughs> and just like, he had to keep repeating, I'm Dennis Quaid like every five minutes. So like it went viral and just everyone kept going, Dennis Quaid. Uh, it's kind of, it was almost like a Denny Crane kind of thing from Boston legal, Denny but it's just <laughs> every single time I see Dennis Quaid and something, I'm just going Dennis Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dennis Quaid. Can we just point this out oh, right yeah. now? What a man. What a, what a, what a man Dennis Quaid is. I mean, gosh, I mean, he's, he's up there with Kevin Costner and uh, what's his name? Michael Keaton. It's like these men mm-hmm. who just have been around for a while. They kind of play similar roles, but they're great men. Good on you, Dennis Quaid, for being Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. <laughs> D- Dennis Quaid. I want a Jumbo Juice. Um, and he's with his, his research team here. Uh, so, so what are their names? I, I, we've got, uh, Jason, Jason. who yeah. is the esteemed Dash Mihawk, who looks familiar, uh, but I don't know if I've seen him anything. Do, do we, are we familiar with this guy? Uh, I remember him from, um, uh, what was the war movie he did? Not Saving Private Ryan, the Thin other Red one. Line. Thin Red Line, yeah. I remember from Thin Red Line because I just thought he was awful in that movie. And then, yeah, he's another one of these guys where it's like, you reckon, what did I know this guy from? I just remember Thin Red Line because he kind of looked like an idiot in that movie. Uh, but, th- I mean, this is this is his best role, let's be honest. <laughs> he's actually really fun. I really enjoy his mm-hmm. character. Uh, and then we've got Frank, the older sort of guy, played by the esteemed J.O. Saunders. Uh, now he's I wish one. that I had, like, a middle initial that went with my first name. You know, he's not J-O, he's J-O. J-O. What is your middle name? What is your initial of your name? I've got two. I've got William and Patrick. So I'd be like Colin W or Colin P. It doesn't work. You need like an O. If if I were Colin O, that would be amazing. Colin O. It sounds like a breakfast cereal. I'll have a bowl. Colin O's. Colin O's. (laughs) J-O's and Colin O's. (laughs) Uh, But they're getting ice cores. Uh, they, they let Jason in control of the drill. I do like that sort of like, you let Jason in control of the drill, he can handle it. And then all of a sudden, of course, there's this massive crack in the ice shelf. The entire ice shelf starts to crack and break away. And Dennis Quaid has to save his beloved ice core. So he jumps over. There's a dramatic action sequence. He jumps back. You think he's safe. He falls off the, the ice shelf. Happens to have an ice pick, which, again, if you actually pay attention, he doesn't have it in his hand or even connected to him, and somehow he has it in the next yeah. scene. But <laughs> to how that works, I don't know. <laughs> but he gets saved because, 
I mean, look, let's be honest. We knew he's not going to die because we've seen him in the trailers. We've seen him yelling at the vice president. But kind of would have been a cool little twist. Uh, you know, Dennis Quaid starred this movie, killed off in two minutes. Um, you know, they, they wanted to do that with Michael Keaton in the opening moments of Lost, of course. He was meant to be Jack. Uh, Emilio Estevez in, in Mission Impossible. You know, these kind of cool little roles. Wasn't... Um, uh, not Jean-Claude, Steven Seagal in one of those plane movies where he was like billed as a star and he got killed off in like the first five minutes or something like that. So I like mm, it when they do that decision. in movies. Possibly. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, even the the thing that this reminded me the most of was the, the Sylvester Sloan movie, uh, the Sylvester Sloan movie Schwarzenegger. I was this close no. to saying. <laughs> where, where Sylvester Sloan <laughs> played Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, cliffhanger. Uh, yes. Again, it's not like the biggest star, but the opening sequence you know, you have somebody dying, um, and it, Vertical Limit did the same thing too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Chris O'Donnell movie. Yeah, like oh, God. Yeah, there's another one we can do. Um, but yeah, like take even if they're not, you know, a big star, take somebody you know who you think is going to be a prominent character, and then they're dead in the opening scene. Yeah, no, it's it's a cool little twist. I like it when they sort of do that. Um, you know, it can kind of annoy you when it's like, oh, this, I mean, they they did Godzilla, classic example with Brian Cranston. Uh, you know, kind mm-hmm. of he was billed as a star. Everyone was like, oh my god, it's Walter White taking on Godzilla. And spoiler alert, because I think we're doing Godzilla later this year, but Brian Cranston doesn't last that long in the movie. Um, so that's a travesty. Brian, what a man Brian Cranston is. Uh, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> sorry. We're just gonna have like our what a man list. You know what? There's a t-shirt for us. It's just going to be, what a man, and then check marks next to you. <laughs> Dennis Quaid, Brian Cranston, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal, and so on. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I guess, like, I feel we need to balance this out because we're going to spend a lot of this movie talking up Emmy Rossum, and I, I feel like in 2020, we're dirty for perving on a girl, so let's just perv on 20 other men to balance it yeah. out. But, I mean, but Dennis Quaid's more than a man, let's be honest. <laughs> he is. <laughs> He's Dennis Quaid. <laughs> um... <laughs> We're at the Global Warming Summit in New Delhi, um, and Dennis Quaid is basically lecturing these people uh, about global warming, uh, which is, uh, I don't know if you remember this being a talking point when it came out, because it was a talking point uh, about climate change. And this is one thing that I guess, just a kind of tangent into modern day climate change and all this sort of stuff that's been happening before this pandemic. I will say I'm not in any chance... A, a denier of climate change. I'm a believer. I'm, I'm normal, right? But it's the thing that annoys me is kind of this, the way that people, and particularly people of a certain age, who are claiming that we've done nothing and now is the time to take action. This movie is 16 years old and he's basically preaching to the world, you need to do something, climate change is going to kill us all. I remember in primary school learning about climate. It was called global warming back then, kids. Um, yeah. And how bad it was and what we need to do. For those millennials and whatever you call Greta Thunbergites who are claiming that we've done nothing forever and now we've got to finally take notice, we've been talking about this for years. This movie is telling us. it's pre- This movie is a bit preachy. Let's be honest. It's just entertaining. But, like, this is my point with this. Like, literally, it's been shoved down your throat. Like, oh, don't burn fuels. You'll kill us all. You'll flood the Statue of Liberty. There'll be a homeless man with a dog in the library. Um, and yet, here it is. There's my little rant. Shut up, Greta Thunberg. Little <laughs> shit. Weirdly. She's just got such a slappable face. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would never condone violence against any gender. Particularly what, like sixteen-year-old girls? But she really does. Come on, people! Please admit to me, 
She really has a slappable face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can we all agree with that? She looks. She has an unpleasant look to her. Let's just say that. <laughs> Judy then slaps people. Guest number one, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. <laughs> Make it happen. Good on you, Greta, for being passionate about it. But how dare you have such a slappable face? Anyway, uh, we're at the climate change function in function. It's a black tie event. <laughs> <laughs> Come dressed in your, your most... $500 a plate dinner. <laughs> Come in your gas-guzzling Jeep. Uh, you know, your, your mink coat that's killed a couple of animals using oils that destroy the planet. Um, this is the smallest room for a climate change function. It's like at the New Delhi Four Seasons. Um, anyway... And Dennis Quaid is talking about the North Atlantic current that essentially, if we don't stop doing shit, it's going to melt. Uh, the ice, polar ice caps are going to melt. This will affect the change. Salt is going to get. I don't know why I'm going into the science of this movie. It's very thin, people. Basically, <laughs> the polar ice caps will melt. Fresh water is bad because it affects salt water. The current goes, stops, and bad weather happens. There you go. That's the science of this movie. Um, I hated science in school, all right? To me, this is all going over my head. Uh, So this is all not going to happen, though, for like 100 years. So everyone's like, okay, cool, we don't really do it. And, of course, America are going to step in and be like, oh, but our our economy. It's kind of very relevant, isn't it, this movie right now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's America who's going, oh, but not our economy. Think of the children. Think of the, the, the things. Did, did, were you aware of the controversy around this movie, around the portrayal of the vice president and president in this movie at the time? It was a big talking point. Do, do you familiar with this? No, but maybe again because the Canadian media wouldn't really be talking about that that much. I mean, it is over the top. Like my issue with the, I don't have an issue with this movie being preachy, but my issue was, especially at the time, I guess that you consider this movie came out at. You know, America had suffered a pretty big tragedy and then to immediately say like, you know, uh, oh, we're the villains. I mean, I could see how that might rub people the wrong way if that's what it was. No, it wasn't. The the, the, the real controversy was the fact that this guy, the vice president, is basically a spitting image of Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney. then current yeah. vice president. <laughs> and then you have him kind of being like the leader type while you've then got the president who slightly resembles a younger, more attractive George W. Bush kind of being a bit of a walkover and literally going to the vice president. What do we do? What should we do in this movie? So, and Roland Emmerich was asked about this, and he basically just didn't deny it. It was he said like, yeah, you know, sure. Um, so well, like kind the of, movies, I remember like, that being a, such a talking point. The thing is, is that the movie's fair to all the characters. Like, it's not like this vice president character isn't bringing up points that should be brought up regardless. You know, yeah. I guess his stance is a little bit more aggressive here. But I mean, ultimately, the the one scene, even though he's going to him and saying, you know, oh, what should we do? He disagrees with him throughout the course of this movie. It's funny, I've been, I've been watching some uh, uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation, and uh, one of the things they do in that is Captain Picard's always going to his first in command saying, recommendations, number one. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, it shouldn't be controversial to have the president asking for advice. Isn't that what they're supposed to do? Isn't that what the current president is not doing? Yeah, exactly. I do. I, um, I mean, there's definitely a scene in this movie we'll get to that, you know, it's, it's portrayed that he's the villain because he's not listening to Dennis Quaid, but... Gotta say, I'm kind of with the vice president. Like, I mean, this is this is a cliche. Oh, we yeah. talked about this in Outbreak. We're going to have this in literally every disaster movie you ever watch. The main character, who is basically by the end of it proven right, 
clearly has a track record of being wrong, so no one listens to him or her. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a it's a trope of a disaster movie. You can't like what like the the old cliche with twenty four. If people listened to Jack Bauer in the beginning, the move the the TV show would be called Twelve. It would be over in twelve hours. Like that's the thing. Like you got to have conflict. You can't just have everybody agreeing with people. And- Otherwise, it's everyone's going to survive. You don't want everyone to survive in a disaster movie. Well, and the fact is, in this movie, we'll, we'll go through it quite a bit. Like, not only is Dennis Quaid, uh, <laughs> does he have a track record of being wrong? Everything he says in this movie is wrong, too. He's basically playing a guessing game, and even his guesses are wrong. This is one of these things where it's like, if everybody listened to Dennis Quaid, nothing <laughs> in this movie changes. Because the home recommendation- is the star. He, no, he gets everything right. Yeah, but, but like the recommendations that Dennis Quaid gives, <laughs> we're just going to say like, <laughs> Like that for the entire episode. Let's see if we can pull that off. The recommendations he gives could not have even happened when he says you need to evacuate the entire north. If they had yeah. said yes, they have no time to do it because five minutes later it's destroyed. And like I feel bad criticizing this movie because we love this movie, but like again, there are definitely some pretty weak things in this movie. And mm. love Roland Emmerich. But, like, I think this is where Independence Day is his peak with some of the things he do. Because, like, again, you can kind of compare certain elements to this. You think about Dennis Quaid, like, warning the world. Like, compare him to the Jeff Goldblum character in, in Independence Day. You know, Jeff Goldblum kind of, you know, accidentally discovers the, the signal and the blocking thing. But he kind of has to go through a lot to eventually convince the president that, hey, this is what's happening. You need to evacuate, you know. But... Hmm. On the flip side of that, like, Bill Pullman is never portrayed as a villain in Independence Day. He's kind of a bit naive, and yeah. kind of he's doing what he thinks is better, and then he eventually listens to Jeff Goldblum. Doesn't sound the same as Dennis Quaid. Uh, <laughs> but, like, it's kind of... Independence Day does it better. And again, I hate saying that to rip into this movie, because I still love this movie. Uh, but I, I don't know where I'm going with this. The point is... <laughs> that it's weird that the vice president is sort of the villain, even though I think kind of he's right to be skeptical of yeah. Dennis Quaid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and this also, is outbreak all over again. <laughs> yeah, and also, uh, let's be honest, uh, Dennis Quaid has to be a, de- a deadbeat dad. You know, of course he has yeah. to be. You know, it wouldn't be a Roland Emmerich movie or a disaster movie without there being a deadbeat dad who's terrible and divorced and estranged. Like, always got to fill in the tropes, tickle. It's disaster movie bingo here on the Oz Network. Um, but he's just so great, Dennis Quaid. What a man. Um, what a man. <laughs> uh, and, of course, we've got this great moment of, like, you know, Dennis Quaid, uh, you know, being all, you know, drop mic moment to Dick Cheney light. Of, you know, well, uh, an ice sheet the size of Rhode Island broke off the coast of Antarctica, so don't say this isn't happening right now. Like, and everyone's like, oh, ho, ho, ho. I love how they all, like, chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> They're all like, oh, burn. <laughs> <laughs> you got served, VP. <laughs> and also, can we just say, again, I'm nitpicking this movie. The vice president in this movie is portrayed as, like, somebody who has, like, such influence in the U.S. government. The vice president has no power at all. Like, he is a figurehead. Like, so many people don't want to be the vice president because it's just a... They're basically like Prince Charles. He just walks around, shakes people's hands, gets given flowers, and goes, oh, I'm going to open this thing and wait for my mother to die. Like, literally, the vice president is Prince Charles. That's all they do. And it's weird. Like, the vice president controls the budget of the climate place. And no, he doesn't. He's the vice president. He doesn't do anything. 
I mean, in reality, the, the vice president, the, the role most similar to this is that he's essentially exactly what they're doing in this movie to NASA. He's the yeah. guy who's in charge of the budget for NASA. That's yeah. the, the only designation the vice president has. And I mean, again, this is where I think kind of a lot of people at the time were like going like, oh, clearly this is like a subtle dig at the current administration in the US because, you know, we talked about that in Vice. It was sort of shown that it was kind of Cheney who was, you know, supposedly pulling all the strings. But um, anyway, uh, it's snowing in New Delhi. I was going to look up if this is a thing, but clearly this one reporter is like, you'll never believe it's snowing. And you like, if this is legitimately a rare thing, he's a little bit calm. Like, is you'll yeah. never believe it. It's snowing. Like, if all of a sudden it started snowing in Cairo, I mean, it might snow in Cairo. I don't know. But, like, I'm sure there's going to be, like, a big thing. Like, Alice Springs in the middle of Australia, near Uluru. If it started snowing in Alice Springs, there's going to be, like, breaking news on Australian. It's snowing. It Like, climate change is real, people. It's snowing in Alice Springs. Like, that would be a thing. But this guy's way too calm. Um... Ian Holm, uh, he he has a bit of a James Bond moment here, doesn't he, with the way he introduces himself? Rapson. Terry yeah. Rapson. <laughs> and why, why is it a thing in all movies with scientists where, like, everyone knows everyone? Like, oh, you wrote that paper on climate change. I've read your work. Like, yeah, like, do they, do they exchange papers? Is there, like, a paper exchange among scientists around the world? I, I'm a journalist. Like, if I meet... Terry Rapson, journalist. I wrote your article on snow in New Delhi. Wow. Like, I, I read articles, I read magazines, that sort of stuff, but, like, there would be very few journalists or, you know, writers that I would straight away be like, oh, my God, you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know who Dennis Quaid is in half the time. No, that's a lie. Everyone knows who Dennis Quaid is. Um... So he's from some other climate change place and he wants to talk to him about his theories. Cool. Um, Within, we see a shot of a a boy, a buoy, whatever you want to call it, floating in the rough seas. And we cut to this Scottish head of, what is it, like climate change research, which is in like the hills of Scotland. And they keep ringing this place up and only three people work there. There's a guy walking sheep nearby. (laughs) I'm like... Again, I don't. I feel bad ripping into this movie, but some of these things are just weird. Um, we meet Ian Home again. He's he's returned. Uh, we've got guy number one who's got a baby, and guy number two likes Manchester United. Yep. <laughs> That's their role. <laughs> That's their role. But like, can I just point out? Like, uh, clearly you're a big soccer fan, so I know you would have picked up on this. Uh, so there's so many problems with this soccer game they show. They're like, it's Manchester United versus Celtic, and. Pointing out, that is not Celtic playing. Uh, Celtic wear green and white stripes. The first scene you see is a blue team, which their biggest rivals in Scotland, Rangers, they wear blue. And then the next scene, you see them wearing green kits. And I read in the trivia of this that they actually had to go in and superimpose the change the colours of it because they would have pissed off Scottish fans because they know how like big rivals they are. That'd be like the the Jets being, you know, Vancouver colours or something like that. And then yeah, they had to change it. <laughs> Um, and that game looks like it's about 10 years old. It does not look like it's a 2004 game, but anyway. Um, guy with baby discovers one of the boys is losing temperature. That's a bad thing, but no, it's only down to rough weather, so, you know, let's not pay harm to that. Uh, we cross to Tokyo where giant hailstones start killing everyone. The, the thing is with a good disaster movie, Whenever you're showing a destruction scene, you've got to have some sort of character who's a bit of a dick and that you're not going to mind they're going to die, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. a trope. Like, we don't care. that. Like, 
Armageddon. It's the guy who um, is selling Godzillas and basically is charging the homeless man because the dog is going to eat the Godzilla, right? Little things like that. You know, um, it's... Uh, what do we what do we have in Independence Day? Um, Jeff Goldblum's work colleague because he's a bit too flamboyant. He gets crushed by a car. <laughs> cool. Let's go with that. Oh, the stripper lady who, who doesn't listen to yeah. uh, Vivica Fox and goes on top of the, uh, the US Bank Tower and gets blown up because she's an idiot. Cool. Like, you've got to have these certain characters who, you know, Jonas in Twister. He's got to get killed because he's a dick. Yeah. Things like that. <laughs> but this scene in Tokyo... The guy who is a dick who gets killed is because he's on the phone to his wife and he's lying that he's not at the office. That is his dickery. <laughs> um, that's that's evil in Japan, clearly. Uh, but, you know, giant hailstones, destroying Tokyo. I was a little bit disappointed in this scene. I thought, like, you know, let's see a bit more destruction. I don't just want to see random Japanese dude with a briefcase get killed because he lied to his wife. Um, okay. Um, Dennis Quaid is a dick to his kid because he comes home and gets a letter that Jake Gyllenhaal's failed in, is it calculus or something? Um, mm. And his wife, who I thought was Wendy Crewson, does she not look like Wendy Crewson? Yeah, there's a resemblance. Who is she? She's definitely off things. She's... <laughs> Did you say she's definitely up things? Off things. Off things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Celia Ward. She was in. She played the president in Independence Day Resurgence. She. Oh, uh, there you go. She was the wife in The Fugitive. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, lots of stuff. Yeah, She's well, up I, I things. Mean, two two roles there that I honestly do know her from, but um, <laughs> I, I, I I just need Harrison Ford popping up every five seconds. See, I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> She's right, right here. <laughs> Stop chasing me. She's married to Dennis Quaid. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, she's kind of pointless in this movie. You know, the she's concerned kind of... wife who has to look after a sick kid. <laughs> oh, that's what? the worst thing in the whole movie. Oh, there are two worst things in this movie. The sick kid and the wolves. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, um, clearly because Dennis Quaid is such a deadbeat dad, he waters his plants with a spray bottle and has to take Jake Gyllenhaal to the airport and doesn't know that his son is going to New York because he joined a <laughs> decathlon thing to get an Emmy Rossum. I would join a decathlon team to get an Emmy Rossum's pants, all right? Like, I, <laughs> I'm i with you. Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal, smartest person in this movie, except for one scene, he's a bit dumb, but... Yes. <laughs> I job. would join many things to get him across the pants. Because <laughs> uh, Dennis Quaid's such a deadbeat dad. Uh, he's there the next morning um, with uh, his boss, who he was a he was in 24, this guy. Yeah. Um, uh, was uh, season is, what season was it? Yeah. He, no, he was the dad of the, the... Remember the young kid they thought was a terrorist, but it turned out to be the mum? Oh, yeah, four. yeah. What were their names? Um... Yeah. I'm trying to remember the family name. You know, I know exactly. It's on the... Yeah. Yeah, anyway. But you yeah. know what I'm talking yeah. about. He was in... Yeah. And yeah. This you is know, us stalling. Know, yeah. You know, the funny thing is, I remember seeing this movie, and this was, I think, before he was in 24, and I remember seeing him... He's got a weird resemblance to Chappelle, like, in a weird way. Like, can you kind of see where I'm going there? Yeah, like, airline and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of at first thought it was Chappelle. I'm like, is that... No, it's okay. It's not Chappelle. But then it was weird. I remember the next season of 24 came out and he was in it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, did I just predict that? Like, did I subconsciously know he was going to be in 24? Um, 
So we meet him, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid, he's a terrible dad. He forgets to pick up Jake Gyllenhaal to take him to the airport. And then we have this scene of basically him revealing the only reason he failed is because he's smarter than the professor. I'm sorry, but like when you do an exam or a test, you are told you need to show your calculus. Like you have to show how you're working out. I have done tests in the past where I can do it in my head, but you've got to show how you got to that equation. So the fact here that they kind of have a big thing about it, and he's like, well, I didn't show my work because I'm smarter than him. Sorry, mate. It served yourself right. You didn't listen to the teacher. <laughs> Love you, Jake Gyllenhaal, you beautiful-faced man. But, like, <laughs> you're wrong. You deserve to get failed. Um, sad scene. Last moment they'll see each other to the end of the movie. Spoiler alert. We go into space. Uh, there's a Canadian flag. I don't know if you noticed that. And an Australian flag on the uh, space station. And uh, they're told that they can't get home because of bad weather. Uh, they're seeing some big storms. We meet Amy Rossum for the first time. And the third kid, who his entire role in this movie is to be told to shut up. I don't know if you noticed <laughs> that. Like, he literally gets told to be, sh- like, shut up every scene he's in this movie. Uh, Brian is his name. And I like we Brian. Get- I like Brian, too. I legitimately <laughs> like Brian. But, like, it's just legitimately every scene of him, they're telling him to shut up. Um, so it's kind of funny. We get this dramatic moment of them on a plane because we need to get this nice little scene, I guess, between Jake Gyllenhaal and Emmy Rossum and the, the dramatic moment of a plane drinks tray nearly killing a stewardess, uh, sorry, flight attendant, um, and severe turbulence. They survive. And I feel like I'm being so negative to this movie. I really do. Um, and... I might sort of cap it here where we're back to the Scotland Research Centre. Uh, guy with baby says goodbye to his wife with the baby. And we discover that two other boys in the water are dropping temperature. And the chances of that happening are incredibly remote. And maybe we'll just cap it. Uh, Emmy Rossum and all that are stuck in a taxi. We meet Homeless Man and all the birds are flying away. And we're about to be at the academic decathlon. But I'll stop right there. Before it gets to the action sequence of the academic decathlon. <laughs> yes. And hello, Emmy Rossum. Can I just say, Emmy Rossum, we like Emmy Rossum. We do. We'll have a t-shirt that says, we like Emmy Rossum. <laughs> yes. And she was 18 in this movie. Um, she No, she was 18 when it came out, which means she was 17 oh. when it was filmed. <laughs> Shit. So, <laughs> well, in all fairness, in all fairness, Emmy Rossum is one year older than me, so I'm allowed to perv. You're not. You're, you're <laughs> older than I am. I was 17 when this movie came out, so there you go. My apologies, Emmy Rossum. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, um, a couple things to add here. There's really only a few things that don't hold up well for the effects. Strangely enough, it's the opening sequence in Antarctica. I can't say it now! (laughs) Antarctica. Uh, (laughs) The opening sequence, it looks so much like, you know... Film live on location from a soundstage in Burbank. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> I think it's just there's too much light in the background. Like, it looks way too backlit. Uh, the ice doesn't look realistic. I mean, the jump is fairly implausible. It's just not a, a sequence that holds up well effects-wise. Uh, and I noticed the same thing with the pickaxe, which I don't think I ever picked up on until last night when I watched this, where he's holding on with both hands and then he drops and suddenly there's a pickaxe. So it's like, that wasn't even hanging on his belt a second ago. Where did that come from? But I, I like this trio because they're not obvious. You know, it, it, I think in any other movie, 
you'd have like the big action heroes and big charismatic characters. And these are just like three regular guys. You actually believe that they're scientists who are physical too, but then you almost question it when they're able to do things like hang off of, you know, a uh, breaking glacier and trek 40 miles in the snow or whatever it is. Uh, but they just seem like regular guys. Uh, so, I mean, good job in casting this movie, especially since so many of these actors, they're not like big names or anything, but they're, I almost believe that there's a lot of deleted scenes, especially when we get to the second half. I, I feel like a lot of these there's, side characters I'll are there. Interrupt. I know. I will. I, I remember there's one we'll get to when we get to the New York sequence. Um, okay. The guy who gets on the bus, who's Lewis yeah. from Suits, by the way, where I love him. Yes. Um, he, yeah, there's a whole storyline around him, which I mm-hmm. remember from that. And I think, I think actually, when I talked about the Tokyo sequence, there is actually more around that guy. So here I am bagging that guy out, but actually now it's kind of clicked. I'm pretty sure there was a whole sequence behind that uh, the guy at, who gets killed. So there are a whole bunch from what I remember of deleted scenes in this movie, yeah. I'm going to pop on the deleted scenes once we're done this episode and it's irrelevant to anybody listening. But uh, I really want to <laughs> see if, if more from like Jason and Frank is in there uh, because they're, they're in a lot of the movie, but it feels like they give them a lot of character early on here and then they just sort of become like the the sidekicks later on uh but i mean it's a fun little trio they have and just on the topic of dennis quaid i think one thing that's really important to keep in mind for people who don't remember is that um dennis quaid he's coming off of dennis quaid (laughs) is coming off of a divorce from meg ryan at this point which was huge news i mean we went through the whole you know benefer thing uh a couple of weeks ago and we, we talked obviously about uh brad pitt jennifer aniston angelina jolie and all that but i mean the dennis dennis quaid russell crowe and <laughs> meg ryan thing was 2000 or 1999 whenever that was I that was that. like the most dramatic scandal in hollywood because basically meg ryan and dennis quaid had been happily married for years you know I, now I think even Dennis Quaid admits he's like, you know, I wasn't exactly the best husband. I, you know, was an alcoholic and stuff like that. But Meg Ryan's never denied like, yeah, he was he was a good father. You know, he wasn't a bad guy. He didn't abuse me or anything. Uh, but when they were filming the movie Proof of Life, Meg Ryan and Russell Crowe started having an affair, basically broke up the marriage. Now, what's interesting is that Dennis Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid. He, he'd had like, you know, a decent 80s early 90s with his career but his career was beyond dead at this point like i don't think he'd done anything in anything major in years uh and he was one of these actors that was sort of thought of dennis quaid whatever happened to him uh the year that the scandal breaks and russell crowe who's now the biggest movie star in the world meg ryan who for years had been the biggest actress in hollywood they have this movie proof of life comes out bombs both of their careers they're almost like blacklisted i think it had it not been for the fact that russell crowe had uh you know already filmed a beautiful mind i think his career probably would have died too and then dennis quaid dennis quaid has this little movie frequency which probably wouldn't even have gotten a major release that comes out and a lot of people went to go see it because there was so much sympathy for dennis quaid and suddenly he's got another movie the rookie which should have never been a hit it was just a middle-aged guy who gets into baseball sports movies weren't big at this point becomes a massive hit then he gets day after tomorrow i mean dennis quaid goes on this enormous run so late in his career which really was thanks to his wife having an affair with russell crowe <laughs> thanks russell crowe yeah like it's bone in my wife <laughs> you plowed my wife and i came out ahead <laughs> gotta got say though can i just quickly interrupt Meg Ryan, again, a name that has been mentioned in about a decade. I, I, I like Meg Ryan. She's in a few movies I enjoy. We, we talked about Addicted to Love. She's in that. I love You've Got, You've got Mail. Me. Great movie. Um, lucky Woman. 
good triangle to be in there, I think. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Gotta say. Yeah, I mean, Jamie's not going to complain. I mean, even this movie, like I said, she was definitely perving on Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, but then, you know, Dennis Quaid's on there. And it's like, and you know what? This guy is like, wouldn't turn him down. I don't care yeah. if he's 40 years older than this. It's like, I'm into this guy. <laughs> Funny yeah. thing, too. She said the same for Ian Holm, I believe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And Lewis from Suits. This this just proves again that you need to have sex with your wife more. She's just literally, (laughs) every time you watch a movie, "Mm, in home. Yeah. Shit. Colin, fuck me. (laughs) But, like, Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid. (laughs) It really is one of the greatest comeback stories in Hollywood, yet nobody talks about it now because I feel like people reacted so negatively. It wasn't like the you know, um, Brad Pitt thing or the uh, Jennifer Lopez, Ben Affleck thing where everybody was so consumed by this and then they got sick of it. The second that the Russell Crowe, Meg Ryan affair broke, it was like nobody even publicly wanted to even know about it. It was like, that's just dirty. It's it's just weird that nobody really remembers. That's the reason why Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid had such a big career after that. Also, Dennis Quaid made yours, mine, and ours with Rene Russo. So he came out ahead, uh, oh. let's be honest. God damn it, like, Renee, she is the new Kevin Bacon. She's connected yes. to everything we do. <laughs> she she We're really going to do is. Renee Russo Oz. Like, let's just do a new show. Even even when we did Double Oz 7 the other week, download now, and we were talking uh, about the Pierce Brosnan, like, Pierce Brosnan, in the middle of a GoldenEye live watch, randomly just talks about Renee Russo. I mean, again, he was in a movie with her, fair enough, but, like, how is that going to come up all of a sudden? That like he was just in, he didn't all of a sudden start talking about Linda Hamilton. He talked about <laughs> yeah. Renee Russo of all people. He didn't start talking about Robin Williams or Sally Field. It was Renee Russo that he talked about. And Shirley Bassey. <laughs> Shirley Bassey. <laughs> oh, uh, peace. But uh, Ian Holm, like I-, I love Ian Holm. Another thing that kind of gets lost on people now that we're 16 years removed from this movie, I mean, most people would now know him from Lord of the Rings. You know, this is coming. What's that? I knew him from The Fifth Element. Well, Fifth Element, yeah, that was another one. But, of course, he was Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings, which was the biggest trilogy at the time. Favorite role. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which you know that, that character uh <laughs> obviously was the star of the hobbit spinoffs as well so i mean major character extremely well known so to get him in this movie but I, I feel like he's really not given what he should also because of the way his character is introduced like you know rapson terry rapson <laughs> you think he's gonna play a major role and i'm almost confused when they get to his little bunker wherever it is where they they just monitor boys yeah boys. they just disappear I, I, that's that's the one storyline that I don't know if there are deleted scenes around that because I, mm-hmm. I'm gonna get to that to jump ahead, but like I'm assuming they die. It's kind of implied, but it's kind of odd that you sort of, uh, yeah, it's a weird well, little trio. It's also the fact that this is the guy who knows more than Dennis Quaid, and yet what is his job to watch a bunch of monitors? We see that his coworkers sleep and just watch soccer on the job. Like they're <laughs> not that busy. So how is this incredibly well-respected scientist, just a guy who's watching monitors wait for something to happen? Gotta say, and this is one of the few things I'll say, 2012 does it better because the, um, the Indian dude who discovers that everything's going to go wrong, there's that whole plot line around how they're trying to get a helicopter of him out and they mm. fail to get it out and he ends up dying. Like do something here with that. Like, you know, yeah. he's the guy who kind of discovered all this. Maybe, maybe that's, what Roland Emmerich did in 2012 he's like fuck I should have done this with Ian Holmes character I'm going to correct this with the other scientist who discovers the world's going to end so um ethically diverse Ian Holmes yeah exactly <laughs> could have been played by an Indian actor but yeah. uh, they went with Ian Holmes 
Um, when we start to see like the the ice chunks, like this is my other problem with the uh, the the sequence in Tokyo. It's not really. It's just the teaser, obviously, right? But like you said. We don't care about any of the characters that die, and I think when we get into – I actually like the fact that this movie, when we start seeing the disaster stuff, they're not killing off their main characters. They will just introduce characters. Like when we get to the Los Angeles stuff, they do a great job in just a five-minute scene of introducing characters that you've never seen before and you're never going to see again. They only exist in that one sequence, and yet it matters. I don't care about any of these people. Like I'm completely with you. You know, we got we got the cop here who gets fit in the ha- uh, fit in the haste. Hey, <laughs> wow, good for him. <laughs> he gets hit in the face with you know a, a chunk of ice the size of Rhode Island or whatever. Like, there's no destruction here. It's just sort of people getting pelted with ice chunks. Like, I'm not saying the sequence need to be bigger, but let's let's give more character to these people other than the guy who's lying to his wife, like you said. You know, they, they do a much better job in the Los Angeles stuff later on. Um, Dennis Quaid is <laughs> Dustin Hoffman in this movie. Yeah, like, I'm so glad we did Outbreak. For Outbreak is such an influential movie because not only was it influential enough that the the main character in Day After Tomorrow is literally taken note for note, beat for beat, from Dustin Hoffman's character. He's got the you know uh, dedication to his job. He's got the fact that he always jumps to conclusions so people don't necessarily take him seriously. He's got the fact that he's you know the only guy who knows what's going on. He has the estranged ex wife. The only difference is. Jake Gyllenhaal is the bad dog in this movie. Like that's the only <laughs> difference. It's it's Jake Gyllenhaal instead of dogs. <laughs> Sorry. So I'm just picturing I'm literally picturing Jake Gyllenhaal's face on a dog's body. <laughs> bad, bad boy. You disobeyed me and didn't write out your answers. Bad Jake. Bad Jake Gyllenhaal. Sit. It's, and then Jamie comes is... in, I'll pat you Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. <laughs> Let me finish your bath, doggy. <laughs> I'll give you a bone. <laughs> uh, I think it's the other way around, Ben. But <laughs> I've got the peanut butter, Jake. <laughs> but um, this becomes so successful, I guess, that they literally do the exact same thing with John Cusack in the next movie in 2012. So uh, we're seeing a trend it's, here. It, it is it is disaster movie bingo because, like, again, yeah. I can list any disaster movie right now. I'm literally thinking about Independence Day with. Dennis Quaid's brother, Randy Quaid, which, uh, can I just point out, literally just discovered they were brothers. I assume they were related. I did not know they were brothers. But <laughs> I told am that I dumb? To Jamie. I told that to Jamie a couple of years ago. I'm like, you know these two guys are brothers, or, or we were watching Independence Day. I'm like, you know who his brother is, right? I was like, Dennis Quaid. She goes, who got the looks in that family? What happened <laughs> <Yes>. to this <Sky?" laughs> Again, like, it's, it's kind of obvious. They've got the same last name, but, like, you would never picture it. Like, yeah. William and Alec Baldwin, of course, you know, all the Arquettes. Like, you're going to know they're related. But, like, really, Randy and Dennis Quaid are related? But Randy Quaid, Randy Quaid is the deadbeat dad in that movie. You know, yeah. even Jeff Goldblum kind of fits that trope because he's the deadbeat ex-husband. You know, it's yeah. kind of like there's always a deadbeat. Bruce Willis. Armageddon. Armageddon well, even does it, yeah. You know, I mean, he's Bruce... deadbeat, but he's like the dad who Controlling doesn't... father. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he doesn't want to let his daughter go, stuff like that. Um, you know, Godzilla, uh, who's the deadbeat dad? Matthew Broderick, <laughs> or the, 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 the woman. Jumped you. Aha, and Godzilla did it. Nah, who was it? Who was it? <laughs> well, Hank Azaria is a bit of a deadbeat, you know, like, get back here, you! And the, the bad actress woman and Matthew Broderick are kind of estranged, yeah. so there's kind of like, let's get them back together. 2012, John Cusack, as you said. Uh, Geostorm, <laughs> yeah, Gerard awesome. Butler. Like, it's it's. let's tick off all the, the boxes here. Deep Impact. Um, the- uh, Lily Sabowski was a bad daughter. Because... <laughs> <laughs> 
no, no, I'm not. No, Tia Leone, because she didn't. Her dad, like she, her dad was the deadbeat dad, dad to Tia Leone. There you go. See, there we go. I knew there was one in in Deep There's Impact. Not a deadbeat. Yes, we're gonna exactly. Twister, Bill Pullman, and Helen Helen Hunt. Like <laughs> and next week, we are going to make it our point to find the deadbeat in Bird Box. Yeah. <laughs> Linda Hamilton, Dante's Peak. You know, yes. where's the where's good volcano? And hey, she was half lesbian at the time. Um, well, Tommy Lee Jones is a deadbeat dad because he leaves yeah, his daughter behind. Yeah. yeah, every movie. Look at this: the deadbeat, deadbeat dad month and mum and mum. I just want to say that <laughs> at least a third of the things we mentioned there, we literally just made up. <laughs> but two thirds of it. 100% accurate. <laughs> you can, like, like, yeah, you're kind of stretching it a little bit with some of those. Like, Godzilla, let's be honest, stretching it. But, like, it still kind of fits. I mean, other Godzilla, Brian Cranston, deadbeat dad. Like, he's legitimately leaving his family behind and he kind of wants but, to save his wife, but, you know. The uh, connection, <laughs> though, of Outbreak Day After Tomorrow in 2012, yes. where it's literally a separated couple having shared custody of somebody... And the hero of the story, who's the only one who knows what's going on, is the deadbeat. It's exactly the same. Like, that's not even a stretch. Like, it is that close. Well, well, and also, let's, but let's compare the deadbeatness, right? Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo. Okay. You know, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay. You're an idiot. Dennis Quaid. You know, Seal Award. Okay. You know, not bad. You know, she's all right. 2012, John Cusack and the woman who plays his ex-wife. Who is she? <laughs> <laughs> We know who we're siding with in that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on, Dustin. Make up with Renee. Come on, Dustin. Do it. Do it for the dogs. Do it for Renee. And and in two weeks' time, when we do 2012, I swear I will look up John Cusack's <laughs> wife's... No, it's not Thandie, It's not Thandie Newton. She's in that movie. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Oh, that there's woman. a cast. Can't wait to get to that. Um, do you want to, what actually bothers me even more than Jake Gyllenhaal not writing out the answers? Tell me, Colin, what annoys you more than Jake Gyllenhaal not writing out the answers? (laughs) It's the fact that Dennis Quaid suddenly (laughs) takes his side. That's ridiculous. He can't fail you because you're smarter than him. So when you're reading the esteemed paper of Rapson, Terry Rapson, are you like, (laughs) he doesn't write out any of his, his, you know, work here. It's just theories. I love it. (laughs) And also, no. and also, Jake Gyllenhaal, the way he turns around and goes like, yeah, that's what I told him. I'm sorry. If I'm a teacher, you're a little smart-ass shit. You're still failing. Don't tell you you're smarter than me. You're suspended. And like Dennis Quaid, it's not like he's immediately even like, he's not trying to do this because he wants to be the good dad. He's lecturing the kid. It's like, you know, you can't fail class. You can't do this. You can't do that. Well, I didn't show my work, dad. Well, nobody shows their work. I'm a scientist. You think I show my work? No. This is how it's you like- get ahead in life. Like, you, you you, were a child once, uh, you did homework, like, you remember, like, if you came home and all of a sudden, like, you got a detention or something like that, and you, you're you always going to be like, oh, but the teacher did this and it wasn't fair because Jimmy in my class did this and I got the blame for it. Like, your parents never believe you. Like, the parents yeah. are always, like, literally, my parents are always like, oh, well, I'm sure they gave you a detention for a reason, Ben. Like, they always side with the teachers. Who are you, Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid. Do you know why you have to show your work to prove you're not cheating? But yes. not showing your work, you look like a cheater. Can you blame the teacher? No. This is the, and- why is this the part of the movie that we are getting worked up over? <laughs> but now we know why nobody takes Dennis Quaid seriously in this movie. He doesn't show his work. This might be the greatest movie we've ever covered that we are ripping into the most. Yeah. 
We have seriously what? spent all this time criticising problems with this movie, but we are going to buy it, and we've both said that this probably should have been in our top 50 movies yeah. of all time. Well, here's here's another thing. Let's let's just start on Dennis Quaid, who, Dennis again, Quaid. what a man, but what a terrible human being in this movie, because he gives no predictions whatsoever. He's like, you know what? If we don't do something drastic, the world's going to end. When? I don't know. 100 years, 1,000 years. Great. So we got a 900-year margin there, and then it literally happens in days. Like, you are the world's worst scientist. If you showed your work, maybe if you showed your work, we would have narrowed that down to a couple weeks. That's the problem. There there we go. You have just discovered the reason why millions upon millions of people die in this movie, right? If he, the global climate change conference black tie event in New Delhi, had have had a board where he explained his theories, people would have believed him. But instead, no, this is why he's (laughs) siding with puppy Jake Gyllenhaal, because this is what he does himself. He just, he skates through life and just takes the easy (laughs) route, all this kind of stuff. That's that's where you fail, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid, like... (laughs) I mean, in all of these disaster movies, you've got to have the one that you don't believe. But at least they've gen- like, let's be honest, Dustin Hoffman at least kind of had proof and evidence yeah. in some weird way to show what was happening. Here, he spent Dennis half. He spends half of Outbreak just trying to find the proof. Dennis Quaid's like, just take my word for it. He I've read Rapson, Rapson. I know what I'm talking about. He literally, like, okay, all they do with this movie... Again, I'm so sorry that we're ripping into this movie. I do love this movie. Like, he goes to a... He saves his ice cause, right? He he lectures people in New Delhi. He gets a phone call because a couple of buoys went haywire. He speaks to a NASA scientist who agrees with him. He yells at the vice president. And then by the time all this is connected, he gets another phone call where he's told to just simply pray... And then by then, he's like, fuck it. I better go rescue my son in New York. That's all he does in this movie, Dennis, Dennis, I, Dennis Quaid. I love you. But no wonder I, Russell Crowe slept with Meg Ryan because Russell Crowe <laughs> was Maximus, all right? He at least did shit to try and get himself out of bad situations. You just take he phone calls and yell at vice presidents. He showed his work to Meg Ryan. That's why you lost the Dennis Quaid. Russell Crowe shows his work. He does. He, he gives, like, big speeches. He's like, I'm father to a murdered son, father, husband to a murdered... Like, he's proving why he's pissed off at yeah. in Phoenix. You would have just stood in that arena and gone, Dennis Quaid, what can we do? We're basically going from Dennis Quaid, what a man, to Dennis Quaid, what a dick. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Dennis Quaid, I love you, man. Oh, Jamie but... just yelled from outside the room, hey, don't you talk bad about Dennis Quaid. <laughs> well, I've got to talk bad about Dennis Quaid because let's be honest, you're a great person, Dennis Quaid. You're a sexy man. You're fantastic. But I'm sorry. You deserve to have Russell Crowe fuck your wife. <laughs> Show your work next time, Dennis. Show your work, all right? <laughs> Russell Crowe walked onto that set with Meg Ryan. It's like, sup, Meg Ryan? I'm, I'm you know, uh, Russell Crowe. Meg Ryan went, yeah, you're in that really bad, bad 30-foot foot of grunt. Like, you're a bad singer. You know, are you Australian? You're, I don't know. Russell Crowe smirked and smiled at Meg Ryan, pulled out a copy of Gladiator and just held it up and <laughs> here's said, my work, Show Meg. <laughs> my, here's my work. Here it is. And Meg Ryan was like, Took her pants off. They had sex. Rest is history. But but let's not forget Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. He <laughs> Dennis ended up Quaid. with Nate Russo in your mind and ours. So true. He true. learned well, from things. That's that's a trick. Yeah, that's very true. But then having like you know again Russell Crowe, bad singer. 
you know, but <laughs> Dennis Quaid has Randy Quaid as a brother. So, yeah. you know, like Meg, well, see, Meg Ryan probably. That's why he doesn't show his work anymore. Yeah. Because first... like. She's trying to pick up women, and it's like, oh, can you show me a little bit of your resume? Well, here's a picture of my family. They're like, ooh. <laughs> so make me come along. Show me a picture of your family. It's like, mm, I'd rather not. Just take my word for it. My brother is hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, oh. God, have, have, has Dennis Quaid and Russell Crowe ever done a movie together? I'm going to think not. Let's go to the Oracle of Bacon. I'll find this out. <laughs> I need I need uh, to get this connection. Um, <laughs> uh, let me. I'll continue with the movie here for a second. Please do get us back on track. Um, also, the guy uh, Ian Holmes' buddy, the uh, the one with the wife. Again, I'm sure that there was probably deleted scenes with that later on because they make a big deal of it. But, but there's a guy who really should have been a star because a couple of years prior to this, he did a movie called Primary Colors with John Travolta, mm. which was. Uh, I, I guess you know, uh, loosely based on the Bill Clinton campaign, uh, huge book when it came out. You know, actually a really good movie, and he's pretty much the star of that movie. And then he just drops off the face of the planet until he does this movie. So it's sad because if you ever see Primary Colors, he is a really good actor. Um, I've always wanted to see it. I've never, I've never seen it before. But oh. um, and just quickly, uh, Russell Crowe and Dennis Quaid have a Bacon number of two. Russell Crowe oh. was in Robin Hood with Kate Blanchett, who was in Truth with Dennis Quaid. Well, you could also say Russell Crowe was in Proof of Life with Meg Ryan, and Meg Ryan was in bed with Dennis Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Uh, uh, anyways, let's let's talk about... Have Renee actually... Russo and Russell Crowe ever done it? Sorry. Uh... <laughs> Jamie's actually in the room. I don't know if she wants to say something right now. Are you... Jamie, are you... Jamie. To say something? No, I'm just wondering why he's talking about Meg Ryan. She's not in this movie. She was <laughs> married to Dennis Quaid. She had an affair. Yeah, she had an affair with Russell Crowe. Bring bring Jamie in. Dennis Quaid. Now, okay, if you're Meg Ryan, I need to ask Jamie a question. Okay, hold on. Ben needs to ask you a question. Was, was come she here. declared scientifically insane? Was she declared scientifically <laughs> insane? I don't know. Here, come on. I, ben, no ben one's heard ask- from Meg Ryan in ten years, Jamie. I don't know. I think I think oh. Colin was about to ask you the same question. But if you were Meg Ryan, uh, I mean, if you're Jamie Hilding, because you are, who would you rather, Russell Crowe or Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid. There you oh, go. Without okay. even thinking but, about it for a second. But what if Dennis Quaid refused to show you his work and Russell Crowe did? <laughs> what? The work is in, like, well, his goods or what? <laughs> well, 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 on that, Jamie, come on now. Let's be honest here. You know Russell Crowe's going to be better in bed. Dennis Quaid's too nice. Russell Crowe's aggressive. He's going to have more fun with you in the sack. Uh, But if a guy is... <laughs> If a guy is nice and a pushover, I can make him do whatever I want. (laughs) That's that's why you're with Colin. True. Okay, fair enough. Touche. Got it. Yep. All right. Okay, on that note, I'm gone. Bye. (laughs) Thanks, Jamie. Uh, Surprise cameo from Jamie Hilding, everybody. Uh, Now let's get on to Amy Rossum. Okay. (laughs) Can we? Can we literally get on Amy Rossum? (laughs) Well, okay. Funny story. I went from hating despising emmy ross you you have your weird thing with the one guy from third watch or whatever uh one of my the favorite shows guy. that made my top 50 <laughs> list i think it was pretty high was uh a show called the practice that had uh dylan mcdermott which is the show that boston legal with denny yeah. crane <laughs> was a spinoff of um emmy rossum was in i think it was a two-part episode of the practice where she played this teen girl this was a couple of years prior to this Ooh, so what episode? let's just say what she had you, what's that what episodes? What are they called? Well, no, I heard Teen Girl. Move on. Joke <laughs> on. Uh, it was 
I thought one of the best episodes or best two-parters they'd ever had on this show. And she was so bad on it that I, I think I even saw in her another movie after the practice and before this. I'm like, oh, I hate this girl. I hate her. And then this movie, I'm like, you would just won me over. You you showed your work. <laughs> uh, she, she hit the right age here. Uh, and she had a run of this and Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera, a movie I'm a massive fan of. Uh, I'm not even ashamed to admit it. Like I love the Phantom of the Opera movie. Uh, and, and I defend her all the time for that because I, I know a lot of people who criticize her singing in that. And I'm like, she was like 17 when she made that movie. Like, give her a little Gerard bit of credit. Gerard Butler too, right? Hmm? Gerard Butler as well. And Mini Driver! Driver! <laughs> <laughs> what a movie! <laughs> we should cover it. But, uh, no, I mean, she, she, she obviously, I, I think part of it was... She's playing a very straight character in this movie. But I, I was telling Jamie, um, Emmy Rossum's one of these weird people where if I don't have to listen to her in real life, it's like, I'm, I'm a fan. But there's <laughs> something about her when I see her in interviews that rubs me the wrong way. Like, there's something kind of just weird about her. But then there's other things that are weird about her. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you showed you showed me your work coming to you again. <laughs> um, when she auditioned for this movie, when she had her screen test with Jake Gyllenhaal, keep in mind, Jake Gyllenhaal what, 21 or 22 when he makes this movie? Emmy Rossum's 17, so let's say she screen tests at 16. She does her screen test with him, in, in the kissing scene, and she decides she wants to stick her tongue down his throat to see what his reaction is. <laughs> 16-year-old I, I, girl with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> which, I mean, like, uh, you know, again, Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't age, so you don't know if he's 16 or 46 in this movie. That's the thing. Um, yeah. I just want to, I like, I, just while we're quickly on Emmy Rossum, um, I just quickly, on Emmy There's a t-shirt. <laughs> Let's be honest, we would all be very quick on Emmy Rossum. It wouldn't last long. Um, sorry to be that guy on this episode, but just pointing out the fact there. My dad uh, is a big fan of the TV show Shameless, which I have never watched. I uh, but from what I have seen, Emmy Rossum is in that show. You get to see a lot of her work in that that tv show so uh, if we ever want to cover a show just to be a disgusting pervy male for all seasons there's a lot to watch an emmy rossum in uh, shameless so in you sign up for our patreon today for 20 dollars a month we'll be covering shameless seasons one yes. through nine <laughs> yes. only skipping to the emmy rossum naked scenes that's that's about it i, mean, I, I don't i'm not you know trying to sound purry or anything like she's very attractive and she she hit just the right age here where she went from being the annoying young girl to Emmy Rossa. <laughs> and, 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 and also we joke and say her and Estella Warren, you know, three years beforehand, Estella Warren, very attractive, beautiful woman, Canadian too. Uh, but I've got to say, uh, probably more of a name is Emmy Rossum than Estella Warren. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's names with E N- name me a famous actress working in Hollywood today with the name beginning with E. <laughs> Um, Emmy Rossum. <laughs> Emmy Warren. And, uh, another disaster movie she got directly after this, Poseidon. Yeah. Bad yeah, movie. Well, that was a disaster in many ways. Yeah, bad movie, but Emmy Rossum. She's and, in and Mystic River? Russell. I didn't know she was in Mystic. She's in a Kevin Bacon movie. There you go. Yeah, Mystic. You know what? That's the other thing I saw her in. Yeah, because I remember now, I remember seeing Mystic River and being like, oh, that's that girl from... And again, nobody else in the world is going to be like, that's that girl from The Practice that I hated. But, like, I had trouble watching her in Mystic River because she was in The Practice. So, uh, yeah, she's the daughter who dies in Mystic River. Sorry, I just spoiled that. Her film career, really, uh, after Phantom of the Opera and Poseidon, uh, Dragon Ball Evolution, Dare, 
Inside, Beautiful Creature, Before I Disappear, Comet. She was the executive producer in that one. You're Not You, A Futile and Stupid Gesture, That's Harassment, and Cold Pursuit. I actually want to see That's Harassment. She plays a journalist. There you That's go. Harassment was what Jake Gyllenhaal cried after the screen yeah. test. Was. <laughs> but I just, I always remember that, like, again, I see her in interviews, and I'm so torn because I'm like, something about her is just kind of annoying, and then it's like, she'll tell stories about, you know, sticking her tongue down Jake Gyllenhaal's throat and him him just kind of like being flabbergasted. She gets the role. I'm like, okay, that's cool. (laughs) That's cool. Just to break in here, Comet, this American romantic comedy drama to which she's an executive producer, she's a star with another man that we've talked about that we love who hasn't really done much recently, Justin Long. (gasps) Justin Long. You literally gasped. You're like, (gasps) (laughs) you know what? She was in cold pursuit. Liam Neeson driving a snowplow. That just shows my love for Liam Neeson. That Emma Rossum was in a movie and Liam Neeson driving a snowplow somehow blinded me. That, and didn't even notice what, she was in. That's what sold executives on that movie. Some guys walked into an office at a Hollywood studio. Guys, got a movie for you. Yep, hit us with it, Frank. Okay. Liam Neeson drives a snowplow. Sold. He's $50 million. I hey I'm in. I was there opening day. <laughs> Didn't even notice Emmy Rossum was in the movie. Uh, the the third guy here, Brian. I love it. We're like, you know, we're just gonna gloss over this movie. <laughs> the world's ending, people. The, the the world's ending. Um, Brian. I don't even know if this actor's done anything else. He's again for me one of the best things in this movie, and it's because none of these three characters. Let's add four when JD gets introduced in the movie. You think they're gonna be your typical teenage characters in the movie it's all going to be you know immaturity and sex or it's going to be hey they're the nerds and they're sort of stereotypical nerds i remember walking out of this movie and just appreciating that the teenage characters to me felt like regular teenagers they're in between it's not like they're obsessed with sex but it's like hey there's guys after the girl you know and then it's not like they're complete nerds like they're intelligent but they're they're still regular people they're just so normal and Brian, who you think is supposed to be, maybe because he has the glasses and he's the only one without a girl in this movie, you think he's going to be like the, the big nerd. He's actually the one who's kind of funny. And he's the one who, you know, has a little bit of personality. Like the, uh, well, we're going to get to the line later on uh, when it's because it says penicillin on it, you know? Uh, <laughs> I love that piece. Like he gets some humor. So I, I wish I wish that this guy would do more too. I mean, maybe he has. Maybe he was in the Snowplow movie with Liam Neeson. I just didn't notice. I don't know. Shut up, uh, Brian. <laughs> but but I, I love all these characters. I didn't even notice that shut up Brian thing. <laughs> um, uh, what else did we talk about here? Uh, the plane, uh, the plane. Oh yeah, the plane. The plane scene's fine. I mean, I I, I think we know what's going to happen later on. Jake Gyllenhaal squeezing her hand, yeah, very tightly, and her suggestion is going to be, you know, body warmth is actually really good for fear of flying. <laughs> you can see that, like, throughout this movie. Emmy Rossum's the aggressor here, and that, that oh, yeah. probably all comes from She's that She's the Russell Crowe. Yeah, like that screen test, you know, the second part of that was she was just supposed to, you know, uh, hold his hand and take him near a fire, and instead she's like, here, take off your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Body warmth. They're like, I, Roland Emmerich's like, that's a brilliant idea. I'm writing that into the movie. That's Emmy Rossum Ty- for you. Typical 17-year-old girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. All right, so uh, we are now at the uh, iconic academic decathlon <laughs> thing. Um, we meet 
douche nozzle JD. Look, I really don't like the wolf section in this movie. I really don't like the sick kid thing in this movie. But, like, because you've got to have a romance, you've got to introduce, you know, douche nozzle jock. And Do we have a jock nerd? What? Um, it's my jock, and, though. Well, I mean, he's he's a he's a good looking rooster. I mean, is he... <laughs> that's what makes a jock. <laughs> sure, um, he's like the rich preppy boy though, because he's he like. Lo- this... I, I mean, I get what you're saying. He looks like a jock, but that's again what I appreciate about all these characters. They're not what you expect them to be. Well, his name's JD. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay, like, you got me there. <laughs> like that's just douche nozzle central, and he's turning around and flirting. We're at this night club not nightclub this what is it like a <laughs> night function um and i love how they like immediately cut into do you really want to hurt me <laughs> good old culture club um and did you notice jake gyllenhaal's name tag says hi my name is yoda <laughs> no i never noticed that <laughs> yeah go go back and look he's like literally <laughs> says hi my name is yoda on his tag i like you're right with brian though like i do love that moment here when he's kind of like yeah, look at all these nerds. And then, like, this yeah. long-haired nerd walks past and Jake Gyllenhaal's look, the way he kind of, like, you know, is staring at this guy. Uh, Emmy Rossum in that dress looks great. Um, gets taken off by JD. Cool. Um, Dennis Quaid does what he does best in this movie. He answers the phone and listens. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a big reveal, like... You know what I told you about? You know what you said at that, you know, great black tie function about climate change that the world's going to end in a hundred years? I think it's happening now. And literally, Dennis Quaid's whole thing is, "What? Really? <laughs> no?" And he's like, "I sent you an email." Um, and this then leads into uh, maybe my favorite sequence of the movie: the the tornado scene. Um, it's very twistery, the kind of way you see these windmills straight away. It reminds me a lot of, um, Wakita and your favourite old lady in that movie, Aunt May or whatever her name is. Um, is it May or Meg? No, Meg. Aunt Meg. Yeah, thank you. The Meg, starring yeah. Aunt Meg from Twister. <laughs> that would have been a better movie. Mm-hmm. I would have watched that. <laughs> Did you see how, do you see any cows out front? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> But yeah, so this whole LA gets destroyed sequence. Um, this is where you mentioned, I think, that kind of this sequence maybe does it the best when it comes to sort of our characters because you've got kind of douchey weather guy in this building hooking it up with some woman. This is like seven in the morning. Like, is he the first shift on? And yeah. the first thing he's done is, I'm going to go fuck my assistant or something like that. Um, we have um, weather guy. Who he's off something? That weatherman's off something. Don't know if he looked familiar to you, but he's definitely off something. Um, and you know, he's I'm on the beach, and there's hailstorms the size of golf balls. They're bigger than golf balls. Oh, yeah. I don't know how big. I don't know how big golf balls are in LA, but like, fuck, maybe they're big. Those are um, like dodgeballs. Yeah, I don't get this weather place in LA, right? Because. I watched the Everything Wrong With video and they actually do make a very good point. There's there's a shot in one of the scenes earlier on when somebody's watching a TV uh, news bulletin and you see this weather guy earlier on or they've got a report of a big hurricane hitting and it's like near California or something. Yet now all of a sudden these weather people are acting like, oh, this weather's weird. Like you get this LA guy says like, oh, we're in Los Angeles. There's no weather. Um, and then mm. he rings up his boss who's about to get crushed in a Porsche and he's like, 
turn on the weather channel. I think we need to issue a tornado warning. Aren't you the weather service that tells the weather channel about the weather? Why are you getting the news from the weather? Like, that's pointless. That's like NASA turning on the TV and going, oh, the space shuttle's been delayed. Maybe we should tell them to delay it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're the ones issuing the warning that the weather... Ch- I, wor- I work in the media. I know how it works. We don't watch the news to get our weather updates, or we don't give a weather update before we get the information from the weather service. So it's it's, it's odd. Anyway... Stop nitpicking this movie, Ben. It's a great movie. Um, in between this LA stuff, we get uh, Dennis Quaid meeting NASA scientists. Um, his assistant flirts with her because we need that. Um, and they walk into this room and they're like, they've just issued a tornado warning for Los Angeles. Um, do you get tornadoes in Winnipeg, Manitoba? We get them in Manitoba. Yeah, it, it, I mean... Pretty much every single summer, you'll get a tornado warning. I don't know if one's ever set down in Winnipeg, but surrounding areas for sure. We had um, I, I, when I was a kid, uh, we lived in the, we lived outside of the metropolis of Vita, Manitoba, which is uh, maybe about an hour and a half from Winnipeg, and we had a storm shelter you know, outside of our farmhouse. So I mean, I don't remember any there, but I remember growing up, especially when you live outside the city, because uh, we lived a pl- couple places like small towns outside the city. Every time they, a weather warning would come on, it was basically get into the basement just in case. So never I actually, actually saw. May, I maybe remember you talking about that during Twister, and I, I, I talked during Twister recap that um, you know I think I, when I went to Minneapolis for the first time, you know you kind of have these signs like you know storm shelter and things like that. It's fascinating to me. And then I actually went to Kansas, and I was kind of the whole time going like, am I going to get to see a tornado? Like weirdly excited for seeing a tornado. But I remember, and I probably told this story during our Twister recap as well, that there was one day that we legitimately got a tornado warning in Hobart. And like Australia just doesn't get tornadoes. Like they happen every now and then you'll get like rural Victoria, there's been a tornado, but they're super, super rare. Um, And this was a legitimate thing. Like no one believed it. Like they were literally putting out tornado warnings in Hobart. And I was like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, no, that's so stupid. And yet you go to the weather service and there's legitimately this big red warning, tornado warning. And I think the only thing that happened, somebody took footage of like clouds above the city and you could kind of see like sort of swirling clouds, like just very slowly. So it was it was very rare. But um, the point of this is LA doesn't get tornadoes, apparently. And we get this great shot of like three tornadoes over the city while a helicopter's flying very close to them. Uh, <laughs> not sure how that helicopter's not getting sucked into a tornado. Uh, very great timing that a tornado happens to be wiping out the Hollywood sign. Oh my goodness! A tornado has directly... There goes the Hollywood sign! The Hollywood sign is no more! Um, great timing for the breaking news. Uh, we've got our weather guy somehow gets from LAX to downtown Los Angeles in two minutes. I'm sorry, I've been to LA. Bullshit. <laughs> but and we just again great typical disaster movie destruction sequence we've got you know the capitol records buildings going we've got cars yeah. dodging all we need is to have what's the name going oh i gotta go we got cows yeah. <laughs> um melissa oh we love melissa don't we um mm. and but the one thing i'll say about these characters again randomly getting killed is I feel they need to make them more douchey because this poor guy getting crushed in a Porsche, he did nothing wrong. The weather guy did nothing wrong. This guy in the office maybe shouldn't have been fooling around with whoever Blondie is, but, you know, didn't really do that much wrong. 
Um, but I do kind of like the way that they're, they're killed off. Like he's literally like, you're on TV. I can see you. And then you see this bus crush, this Porsche and that guy in the news. Oh, I really hope there was no one in that Porsche right now. that got completely crushed <laughs> by a bus. The weatherman gets like taken out by a billboard, which is fun. And I do love how this couple gets like wiped out and they open the door and there is the cleaner guy. But this is all, mate. This is one scene. This I reckon this would be my favorite disaster sequence, even more so than the New York stuff. I, I really love this sequence. And I love that shot. Like, we talk about the music and the theme. Like, it's so implausible that this guy's going to open a door and he survived, like, this tornado and the building doesn't collapse. But I just love that shot of him opening the door and you hear that, oh, oh, um, so good. That was, that was the was sound he made. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he opened the door um, and he was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know how there's an earthquake going off um, with that seismology machine. Um, I watched a video on YouTube. It was meteorologists react to the day after tomorrow. Uh, and they're literally like cracking up laughing watching this scene. Like going, how is how is the Richter scale going off when there's a freaking tornado? Like a Richter scale is under the ground. And this is, you know, how is that doing this? Um, so yeah, LA is destroyed. Uh, Dennis Quaid is in this boardroom they're all saying how could this happen is it the sun a nasa woman's like no we checked the sun it's okay uh, that was in <laughs> was it not the core what was what was that sunlight movie where they had Sunshine. to go to the sun it, yeah and it had uh cillian murphy in it that was a yeah. weird movie kind of turned into a yeah, horror movie in the last scene didn't it like it was odd mm-hmm. um but no dennis quaid is right because he says like no what about the north Atlantic current you're right, Dennis Quaid. The only thing that he's maybe right with in the entire movie. I do love it here when he's like going to his boss, like, I need all the server power. And his boss is like, no, I can't do that. And Dennis Quaid gives him a stare and he's like, you've got 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, show me your I- work. <laughs> <laughs> show me your work. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, in New York, um, all the planes have been grounded. Um, because of bad terminals. One thing I, I love is like when they watch this news broadcast and like, you know, they're all watching this, LA has been destroyed by tornadoes. And literally Jake Gyllenhaal is like, we've got to change the channel. And everyone's like, no. And all it is, is planes have been grounded across America. That's legitimately the only thing. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, a city being destroyed by tornadoes is news that I want to watch. Um, and then we, this news report, they're like, unfortunately it came too late for two planes that were felt, you know, that were crashed over the Midwest. We know how big of a deal it is when planes crash. Like, a passenger plane with, like, 200 people on board crashes. That is, like, global breaking news for, like, days on end, right? This news pass just gels over it. Like, oh, yeah, two planes crashed in the midst. Okay, LA just got destroyed by tornadoes. There are millions of people dead in Los Angeles. Big story. But legitimately, two planes have just crashed, and you're just doing it as an afterthought. Well, but you know what? Like, this is where we can bring the perspective of, you know, the, the, the... Current, present day, you know, uh, uh, happenings, goings on. In case anybody's listening to this in the future, uh, COVID nineteen is a thing right now. Uh, yes. <laughs> just in case. Let's well, no one's listening in the future, Colin. Everyone died because yeah, we're all dead. We're all dead. We're all dead. You know, wh- whoever inherited this earth af- after us, and they stumbled across these recordings. Uh, COVID nineteen, okay. But anyways, uh, I for one welcome our new overlords with passion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I mean, I'm sure you've are. Here's the question that you've probably heard about the mass shooting in Nova Scotia. Did hear about it slightly. Yes. That's the thing you heard about slightly biggest mass shooting in Canadian history. And yet because of COVID-19 right now, 
it's yeah. on the news, but it's like it's an afterthought. It's it's like the uh, B yeah. story. Comment on that the other day. Actually, I was talking to somebody about how like it's it's weird. Like what, like twenty three people or something like your biggest mass shooting in Canadian yeah. history, and. You're right. It's like, it's just completely gone. And like, didn't Trudeau just pass on a thing about banning certain types of guns? That was like mm-hmm. story number 12 on a, yeah. <laughs> like I was in New Zealand when Christchurch shooting happened. I was in Tasmania when Port Arthur happened. Like maybe I'm a bad luck for these countries. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just realized. Stop saying on air. Every country I've lived in at one point while I'm living there has had their worst ever mass shooting. You know, by, wrong with me. by the time this episode airs, Ben will have already been deported from Canada. Yeah, don't put me to somewhere that hasn't had a bad mass shooting. I realize <laughs> something here now. That just clicked. I'm scared. No, That's I'm scared. Good. I'm in your wedding party. I'm thinking you're behind these things. Shit. Um. Anyway, I don't know what I was talking about. Our planes have crashed. Okay. Um, <laughs> this got dark real quick. It got really dark. I killed Roger Moore. <laughs> Now people go on mass shootings because I'm in your country. I'm so sorry, people. <laughs> um, Dennis Quaid yells at the president, vice president. And this, this is the part. I, I agree with the vice president here. Like, he's yeah. legitimately meeting this guy for the second time. And now Dennis Quaid is all like, remember that thing I talked about that could take place in 100 years? It's happening now. <laughs> uh, and then, like, the vice president is like, what? And then he's like, if you don't do anything, you'll be wrong about this. And vice president's like, well, what if you're wrong about this? Like, exactly you already right. wrong. You're coming and to me telling you me you were wrong. <laughs> that piece of paper he hands the vice president is one page long. Not showing your work, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it should be a fucking booklet. Um, and then we get the trailer line. If you don't act now, it will be too late. I'm sorry. Dennis Quaid is the villain in this situation here. Well, not really. I mean, he's kind of right. But at the same time, I understand why the vice president isn't listening to him. You know? <laughs> Like, let's be honest. Randy Quaid. Not Randy Quaid. <laughs> Woody Harrelson. Similar looking people. Woody Harrelson in 2012 is kind of a loop and no one's going to listen to him, but he ends up being right. Like if Woody Harrelson had gone to, um, what's his, what's, um, why have I gone blank on his name? Um, the president. Uh, d- uh, God damn it. Lethal weapon dude. Danny Glover. I'm too old for this shit. Danny, Danny Glover. Gl- thank you. If he had have gone to Danny Glover, I forget Danny Glover. <laughs> Everyone has, let's be honest. It's 2020. hasn't been anything for a while. Um, stop bagging out actors who haven't worked in a while. Could be their choice, Ben. Uh, if he had yelled at Danny Glover in that movie, you know, no one would believe him. Let's be honest. Woody Harrelson isn't acting in that movie. He's just lost it. That was Woody um, Harrelson, yeah. Oh, that's why you like 20. Woody Harrelson's in that movie. Oh. Woody Harrelson, Tandy Newton, John Cusack. Where, where, John Cusack's in the same conversation, really? You oh, like yeah. him that much? Okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of never really had that positive thoughts on John Cusack. He's just there. Um, <laughs> it's because you've only seen America's Sweethearts. I don't think I've... Well, that's got Catherine Zeta-Jones in it. I'm not looking at John Cusack in that movie. Is he, <laughs> is he Joan Cusack's brother? He is, yes. It makes sense now. All these actors <laughs> have the same last name. <laughs> wow. So the Hemsworths, are they related? Yeah, I think they might be. <laughs> Jesus, Ben, you're dumb. Um, where are we up to in this movie? The planes are grounded, the planes are crashed, yelling at the vice president. Uh, they're in the Natural History Museum. Bit of foreshadowing because the woolly mammoth has food in its stomach. Cool. Um, they're not concerned that they've got tea and biscuits in their Scotland shelter. Uh, the helicopters crash. 
Uh, it's a cool little sequence. And I do kind of like what that leads to when, you know, again, Dennis Quaid does what he does best. He gets a phone call. Um, and the, the fuel froze in the lines. Like, we have to look it up. It's negative 150. Uh, I do love the stereotypical British person in that uh, helicopter. Come on, you bastard! Like, when he's trying to get it to start. And the fact um, that they're, like, before you can even tell that anything's freezing. The lines are freezing! Yeah, well, they didn't look it up. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Ian Holmes, the smartest man in this movie, he had to look it up. A random British-Scottish man. You know, the lines are freezing! Um... So, meanwhile, in uh, New York, they've gone to Douche Nozzle JD's apartment, and he's all embarrassed that this is just my place for the weekend. Why do they always try to make, like, rich douche nozzles like this? Um, one thing that I have a, I've never really paid attention to until this rewatch, the passage of time in this movie doesn't make sense, because when we're up in this apartment, uh, Brian is all like, it's been reading like this for three days now. So they've been in New York for three days. That went by quickly. Um, like, I don't think we even noticed that, did we? There's a lot One... of points in this movie where they're like, oh, a couple of days ago. And it's like, well, what happened in a few days? Yeah. And one thing, actually, that uh, got pointed out to me in the Everything Wrong With video, they're up in JD's apartment, which we find out is on the top floor. So they're in a very high building, right? Hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal's problem in this movie is that he then is like, oh, we need to leave the city. Let's go to this brother, young guy, this guy that we don't know his brothers in Philadelphia. They've found out the trains are gone. They've found out the planes are gone. The roads are no doubt going to be gone. Why not just stay in this guy's apartment, which is on a higher building than it turns out that the freaking library is going to be in? I mean, that library is not tall at all. Um, So, I mean, they would have been perfectly safe to stay in JD's douchey apartment. Um, but I think he, he does say, you know, we need to get home. So it's not so much a matter of that. It's like he thinks, I mean, it's ridiculous, but he thinks that they're going to have time to actually get back to Washington or wherever they're from. Which, I mean, I guess true, but like it kind of, it, it makes it a bit of a moot point later on when he's the one who's like, no guys, don't go outside. The storm's bad. Yeah. You know, well, like why would, he's hold just your like dad, dad now while the phones aren't down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Phone calls. <laughs> Like father, like son. He gets the always... uh, New York at this point is starting to flood our, our homeless guy. That homeless guy's off something too, isn't he? I, I I only know him from this. He's yeah. He I mean he keeps getting told not to stand in the stoop. He gets told not to go in the library because if he's got a dog. Um, I mean I know it's meant to be like oh poor homeless guy, but I mean at the same time like. Rules are rules, homeless guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> no homeless Don't bring your dog loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ditch your dog. Go in the library. It's simple. Tie the um, dog inside. People do it when they go in grocery stores all the time. Well, this is a disaster movie trope. Let's have a dog. We can't die. The dog can't die. Who cares about millions of people dying as long as the dog is safe? That's legitimately, again, bingo, disaster movie. Disaster Catherine Hepburn watches a disaster <laughs> movie. Um, it's always there's always a dog in the movie somewhere. Um, this is all the build up to New York getting destroyed. Um, we meet Lewis uh, again. What's his name? I always forget his name. Uh, what the actor? This, oh, the actor um, Rick Hoffman. Rick Hoffman. Thank you. I love Rick Hoffman. Oh, fantastic. Uh, like, when I it's funny actually when I started watching Suits, uh, the thing I automatically knew him from was funnily enough, hey, he's a douche guy in the day after tomorrow. <laughs> um, and this is there is actually like oh, the deleted scenes, the ones I remember the most is this whole storyline. So he's actually a stockbroker 
who is like doing inside. He's like, he's a bastard. All the deleted scenes basically show him being an absolute prick, like insider training. I think like he's just a, a horrible person. So that's where like this whole sequence of him getting on the bus and bribing the guy, like it makes more sense, but you don't really get to see this with him. But yeah, they're the deleted scenes I remember the most. But the one thing I loved about Rick Hoffman is that they did, um, uh, and Air New Zealand were kind of very well known, well, are very well known for doing those safety videos and kind of doing, going out of their way to do like big, amazing ones. I think they kind of set the bar high and so many other airline companies started doing it. And in the lead up to the Rugby World Cup last year, they kind of did this one around the All Blacks because it's New Zealand. Of course they are. And they had to like check with the Air New Zealand lawyer if they're allowed to do that. And they got Rick Hoffman to be the Air New Zealand lawyer. Uh, so it was, yeah, kind of funny. Love him. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Suits was an okay show. Let me be honest. It's not going to super groundbreaking. It wasn't the best show I've ever seen. I'm not going to put it in my top 50 TV shows of all time, but I mean, he was the best thing about it. He that. is Let's easily be the best thing on it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but New York gets destroyed. We get, you know, I'd say maybe the most famous scene in this movie is we get the, the tidal wave, the Statue of Liberty. And, you know, as much as I love the tornadoes in LA, I, I do really love this one shot of the the way they kind of do this pan around the Statue of Liberty, and mm-hmm. you see the tidal wave kind of like doing that. And I think what what's really interesting about this movie, this movie came out the same year as the Boxing Day tsunami, which happened you know at the end of this year. But I think kind of all we'd really seen with tidal waves and tsunamis in movies at that point, think about like Deep Impact, like this one yeah. giant wave, right? This, I think, is a lot more realistic because it's more like the water rising, which we saw yeah. in the Boxing Day tsunami. Like, I think we all had a picture of a tsunami being a giant wave like Deep Impact, but this is what it would actually be like. So that's a great shot, the way the water goes around the Statue of Liberty. You see the city, then you kind of see the water, you know, flooding the streets of New York. Uh, this big giant wave. It's very Independence Day. Uh, kind of, it's like <laughs> almost like the fireball coming towards everyone. Yeah. Um, we just needed the dog jumping into the building. Yes. Mama! Mama! <laughs> um, uh, we have got to have a bit of drama here, though. Emmy Rossum's got to cut herself and save French people. French people. Yeah. Uh, they get rescued. Well, she gets rescued by Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, <laughs> again, you got to love a good disaster movie. Tra- I mean, one thing I remember about San Andreas, because I don't think I've actually seen it since the movies, is that... The Rock essentially only cares about saving two people. He's all right that millions of other people die. Like, as long as (laughs) his wife and daughter survive. This is kind of like, you know, again, Jake Gyllenhaal isn't The Rock. He's not going to save everyone. But, like, I mean, he's literally going back to save one person. Um, New York's flooded. Um, This is when all of a sudden we realise all these super storms are going to merge up and basically happen in the next 48 hours. This is a whole line from Ian Home, like... You know, it's too late for these people. You know, all you can do is pray. Um, they're in the library. Uh, JD tells Jake Gyllenhaal to go after Emmy Rossum because, wow, that conflict lasted a while. <laughs> um, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is smart and realizes that phones in the basement are going to be connected to the phone line, not cell phones. So he's going to call his dad. And then this is where Dennis Quaid is going to walk, basically, from Washington to... New York will drive some of it until what's his face crashes the car. Um, Emmy Rossum gets Jack Gyllenhaal warm in a scene that we all enjoy. <laughs> um, and I mean, let's let's be honest. This is kind of the last of the action stuff now. Really, now it's all about yeah. survival mode. 
So, I mean, I might just kind of cap it there because I think a lot of the survival stuff really we can sort of lump together. Maybe I'll just end it here as a big shocking moment that there's a big Russian freighter ship going down the streets, which is bullshit. That, that boat is wide. You can see in the background how thin the streets are of New York City. That boat is not making it down the street. I'm calling bullshit on that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and let's let's end it with Dennis Quaid finally addressing the actual president, drawing a line on a map saying that everyone from the north of this is screwed, everyone in the south, go to Mexico. You're screwed, Colin. I'm screwed. I'm in Canada now. Uh, Canada's fucked. We did get a couple of lines where they said, like, you know, a huge storm, Nova Scotia's gone. Um, they also mentioned in one of the news reports that Australia had its biggest typhoon in record. We don't call them typhoons in Australia. We call them cyclones, you dickhead. You're wrong. Uh, <laughs> big gripe with this movie for Ben Waterworth. Uh, yeah, anyway, let's let's cap it there for the moment. Um, I just like the homeless guy, too. That Okay, so this movie, it is more subtle than other movies would be. Definitely more subtle than a movie would be now with its climate change um, uh, thing that it has going on. And I actually like that about this movie. Like, I don't think it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. I don't think anybody wants a message crammed down your throat. And this movie, outside of maybe the last scene with the vice president, which feels very look at their faces. They're all the same. Uh, Everything else in here is pretty subtle. Uh, Like with the homeless guy saying like, oh, these cars causing pollution or whatever. I'm thinking like, dude, you haven't bathed in six months. I think you're causing more pollution than the cars. (laughs) But that is an example, at least of something that's. A little bit Colin more hates subtle. Homeless people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on, this homeless guy, and he eats hot dogs. Who does that? That's a disgusting food. Eat I your dog, wanna... my friend. Eat your dog. Eat the dog. I would rather. Hey, if I had the choice, if you said you can eat this dog or you can eat a hot dog, I would be eating a dog. That's how much I hate hot dogs. Disgusting. Fun story. Homeless man in suits. He's in uh, seven he? episodes of Suits as Leonard Bailey. Can I remember who Leonard Bailey is? No. Well, funny story also, like you said, you know, with Suits, you're like, oh, it's the guy from Day After Tomorrow. I had the exact same reaction because he hasn't done a lot. Um, I, I don't know why he hasn't done a lot because the guy, that he's such a brilliant actor and like so funny. Uh, but when I saw Suits, I was like, oh, it's the guy from Day After Tomorrow. But when I saw the Day After Tomorrow, I'm like, oh, it's the guy from The Practice because he also was in The Practice. <laughs> uh, I think uh... he played one of the um, – one of the, uh, what do you call them, prosecuting attorneys? Uh, like The, the Practice – well, no, the practice was cool because it was a legal. It was a legal show where you're following one law firm, but unlike other TV shows of the time, where it would just be a different actor every single week as the judge, you would see the same judges and opposing attorneys frequently throughout the show, and he was one of those opposing attorneys that would pop up every once in a while. But right. uh, Roland Emmerich must have been heavy into the practice at the time he was casting. Well, this, this movie. guy, Glenn, Glenn Plummer, and actually, I, I did look up Lena Bailey in Suits. I do remember him. If anyone remembers the storyline around Jessica and. Um... Rachel, is that freaking, uh, what's the name's character, Megan Markle's, uh, they were like, he was a death row inmate and they were trying to get him off and he was wrongly accused and I think it was like Megan Markle's first big case. But um, I've also seen here that he was in a long period of ER, maybe that could be where I remembered him from, I don't remember his character in the ER. He was in Speed 2 Cruise Control. There you go. Wait that a second. where we were recognising him from. Is this, is this Toon Man? Toon Man, who's Toon Man? The, the oh, guy who's oh. car, because the, the guy car he steals comes back in Speed 2. Is that him? It might be. His name is Maurice. Hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Was he in Speed um, 1 as well? Yes, he's Jaguar owner in Speed. That's it. So th- it is. There yeah. it is. That's how we remember him. <laughs> this is this is Toon Man slash Boat Thanks, Toon Glenn Man. <laughs> he's big in disaster movies too. Speed 2. 
uh but I, mean, yeah, I like you know the fact that he eats hot dogs uh you know i actually <laughs> like this character too like i think i'm disappointed especially it is funny like rick hoffman he has such a small role in this movie i don't know how we remembered it because i hadn't seen the deleted scenes you know by he the time like i saw rats he's got a very memorable face rick Hoff. yeah that's i thing. love he's you got... rick hoffman but you really do look like a rat yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, like, all these deleted scenes, like, I think I probably have seen some of them at some point, but I'm actually glad that they cut that out. Like, I get what you said earlier about you need to have these characters where – I'm not going to say you want them to die, like the villain characters. Disaster movies are way more subtle than that. The It's more like you, you have characters that – when they die, it's going to be the big sacrifice. It's going to be the sad moment. And there's other characters where when they die, the audience is more indifferent towards it. The mistake that Poseidon made, the reason I really hated Poseidon was because they wrote characters like the way that Rick Hoffman's character here was supposed to be. Where every scene they're in, they're just a terrible person. So when they die, you're almost cheering. And no disaster movie does that. You will have the characters where you're like, oh, this guy, you know – he kind of sucks, and then he dies, and you're like, oh, well, that's sad, but it was only him, you know? It's more meant for, for the audience to not be so overwhelmed. And I think in that case, it works better. They didn't go the route of all those deleted scenes you're talking about. But it's still so fun that he just comes on this bus, and it's like, the bus is out of service. Like, not anymore. He just sort of hands him a 20 or whatever it is. I'm hoping it's more than a 20. Uh, but I think like, 100. I think he says, doesn't he go, like, here's $100? And he goes, no, 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 $200. Yeah, you're back in service. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, like the the disaster scenes here too, they went the route, like I said, of having these minor characters that only exist in this one sequence, like Rick Hoffman and his buddies. Like in Los Angeles, which, you know, I agree with you, as far as like big action scenes in this, it arguably is a bigger and maybe more, I wouldn't say it's more exciting just because of the drama of the wave. I mean, it just builds so much. Like it was intended to be the big, sequence of the movie but for the action we see that the tornado stuff in los angeles is fantastic and you have that character you know weather guy banging the girl on the couch they're introduced in that scene they are dead by the end of the scene but yet they feel like they're a bigger part of the movie and i think that's what we missed in the tokyo stuff earlier on uh and uh, the the weather guy uh getting crushed and everything uh the, the fact they're waking him up to you know <laughs> this is another independence day thing you know, calling the guy in the middle of the night uh the, mm-hmm. the, the opening scene where um they get this the signal. Is an insanely beautiful woman. I'm hanging up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bingo of uh, disaster movies. Right? <laughs> what a great movie, Independent. Oh God. Oh, we'll cover one it month. We just need to do just like Ben and Colin's Choice Month. And yeah, got to do Independence Day. We'll do Independence Day and Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I'd be down. Didn't um, who Joel Schumacher did Phantom of the Opera? Didn't he? He did. Yeah. And yeah, it has Minnie Driver, Gerard Butler, Patrick Wilson. I... Jamie would be in. See, fan of the opera, like, it's. I'm not a huge musical person, but that's the one musical that my mum just played to death as a kid. And mm-hmm. when I went to New York for the first time and we went to Broadway, that was a show I saw because I'm like, yeah. I love the fan of the opera. So I, I have to say, I, I would gladly do the fan of the opera because I actually don't think I've seen the movie. Weirdly. I saw a oh, TV really? adaptation of it, but I can't remember if I've seen the movie or not. Yeah, no, I, I am a huge fan of the movie. Um, but fan of the opera, coming soon. Um uh, okay, so JD, um, I, I mean, am I getting the impression you don't really like JD's character? What's the point of him? Well, again, I think the point of him is that you get something different than you're expecting. You're expecting, like you said, the 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 douchey rival who's trying to steal Jake Gyllenhaal's girl, and they kind of tease that a little bit, but then they drop it, and his character becomes completely different than you expect. And I like the fact. Again, I'm not saying he's brilliant. And the, the actor Austin Nichols. 
He's done one thing that I really appreciate him for, which is uh, he banged Rihanna in Bates Motel. Bates Motel is a prequel to Psycho, and in the final season, they sort of catch up with the Psycho movie, and he plays one of the main characters. In, and Rihanna's which, in it? Like, and Rihanna, she plays the, the girl who gets killed in the shower, the, who you think is the main character in the Psycho movie. Uh, yeah, uh, and they're having an affair. So, I mean, he turned out all right. So, um, <laughs> you're, you're weirdly into Rihanna. I like, I, I tagged you Is in that, that weird album to be into Rihanna. No, well, I mean, no, but like, you're somebody who doesn't. I don't picture you liking that type of music. You bagged me out for liking Madonna. No, I mean, we. But funny enough, I debated. Stuff. I debated putting a Rihanna album on that thing, the that that musical challenge yeah. thing. I love Rihanna. I mean, again, I may. I love her, you know, because her videos make me appreciate the music more. But <laughs> Rihanna, good job. And, and not that bad in uh, Bates Motel also. Uh, but, uh, yeah, here he's not a very good actor here. Let's be honest. Uh, right. And uh, But I just like <laughs> – shut up about Rihanna. <laughs> you just I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Madonna, better actor than Rihanna. Oh, you get out right now. This podcast <laughs> is over. Madonna you know, is a Golden Globe winner for Best Dramatic Actress. What has Rihanna ever won? Golden Razzie for Battleship? <laughs> Madonna's won every Razzie she's ever been nominated for. Anyway, this is now true to Madonna versus Rihanna. Three? You are losing, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Who's more successful? Who? Rihanna! Who? No, she's not. Madonna was like, she's dumb. Doesn't Don't Rihanna get me st- have, like, the, second, the record only second to the Beatles for the most number one singles in history? No, I I will bring up the comparisons between the two, my friend. And Madonna (laughs) kicks her little Bahamian ass. Uh, Yeah, we're going to have a bonus show here. (laughs) Uh, And she's not Bahamian. She's from Barbados, Ben. Here's where the line is. Well, I was wrong, right? Whatever, right? Here we go. Um, Rihanna. Madonna Madonna has sold between 300 and 275 million albums. Rihanna's only sold 250 million albums. Suck it, Rihanna. She's also been around about 50 years less, okay? There's a difference. Rihanna, female artist with most US number one singles in one year, most consecutive UK number one singles, best-selling digital artist in the US, most consecutive weeks on UK singles charts, most digital number one singles in the US, uh, most liked person on Facebook. Is that it? You you, you got more? Because I all right, let's go here. Most successful female solo artist, best-selling female recording artist, best-selling album by a woman, most remix act, largest environmental fundraising event, best-selling remix album by a female artist, best-selling compilation album by a solo artist, biggest-selling album of the nineteen eighties, most expensive music video by a female, most costume changes in a film, best-selling video single of all time, song topping charts in most countries, album topping charts in most countries, longest stay at number one in European top one hundred charts, most number one singles in European hot one hundred. I can go on. This is a long list <laughs> i love it most expensive music videos in accomplishment it is what world's the most expensive movie ben <laughs> and, and what music video is that die another day <laughs> this is all i have to say madonna did die another day rihanna wins rihanna did unfaithful didn't she that's a dumb song yeah well, shut up about that you know what <laughs> I don't Just know why I'm that, bagging out Rihanna. I that, like Rihanna. <laughs> I have been challenged to post 10 albums. Dana one, Rihanna. <laughs> I can see here, I can see one record here that it says Rihanna broke. 
the shortest amount of time to achieve 20 top sing- top 10 singles by a solo artist on the Billboard Hot 100. It says here, Rihanna broke this record in 2011. There's one for Rihanna. There you I read, go. Like 12 other ones for you, and you were like, is that it? Well, I mean, again, this list is very long. I can keep reading. Oh, There's still okay. so I much more. Hold on. I love the one that you missed on Madonna's oldest living human being on the planet. <laughs> well, Billboard listed Madonna as the only behind the Beatles as the greatest Billboard Hot 100 solo artist of all time. Uh, well, I mean, behind the Beatles aren't even a solo person. So she, the Billboard, the biggest chart company in the world, listed her as the best or the greatest solo artist ahead of people like Michael Jackson, uh, Elton John, uh, I don't know, freaking Celine Dion. I don't know. Like, well, Justin you know what? Bieber. You know what? The esteemed magazine of Colin Hilding ranked Rihanna number one ahead of Madonna number 800. What will it take for you to say something positive about Madonna? Uh, Madonna covering a Rihanna song. <laughs> what if Rihanna covered Die Another Day? What if it was like a... She would a be bro- dead to me unless she did it right. A broody ballad. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> wake up. Yes and no. It sounded like that. I would throw up. <laughs> Sigmund Freud analyzed this. Remember when analyzed. we were talking day after tomorrow? <laughs> oh yeah, that was a good recap we did. I actually, you know, the, the friend I talked about the other week on Crossroads, right? The the Britney Spears fanatic. He yeah. and I used to always go at it, Britney Spears versus Madonna. We legitimately would do what you and I just did. We would pull out stats and facts and who's bigger, who's better, who's that. The only person that you can bring up in a debate about Madonna, who has been more successful and bigger and all that sort of stuff, is Mariah Carey, and I don't even like her. So get all your facts ready for Glitter next year, Colin, because maybe (laughs) you might get more points. But I'm sorry, Madonna, shit all over Rihanna. Just for that, I'm throwing in Battleship next year, okay? Eh. <laughs> hey, that's got Taylor Again, Kitt. James will be I in. like Rihanna. I, I honestly <laughs> like Rihanna. Like, I well, really do. Hold on a second. So we have two people on this podcast, two of which like Rihanna, <laughs> one of which likes Madonna. I guess Rihanna wins. What's your thoughts on Beyonce? The average. Yeah, exactly the same opinion. I'm like, she's okay. And yet, we still have two votes in okay favor of Beyonce, which puts her ahead of Madonna. So Madonna's now in third place. There you go. All right. Here's the big one. This is the deal breaker. (laughs) Taylor Swift. Uh, (laughs) Taylor Swift. (laughs) There's such an awkward silence there. Uh, I I was, can I bring myself to do this? Taylor Swift over Madonna. Oh, <laughs> no, bad, Colin. Bad. Now I'm going to your basket. That's oh, that is. I've heard you say some dumb shit, but that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the day after, we're going to gloss over a lot of stuff, people. <laughs> Dennis Quaid rescues Jake Gyllenhaal. What are we doing with this movie? <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, the LA sequence is great. Um, I love 
you know, Roland Emmerich, who's trying to be very progressive making this movie where he's like, let's talk about climate change. Let's, you know, talk about inaction. Uh, let's do lots of nice things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to be a good person here. And what does he do? The most not so subtle racist moment in the history of Roland Emmerich movies the helicopter in Los Angeles. There are some people down there who are just taking pictures. Cut to two Asian tourists taking pictures of a tornado <laughs> instead of running for their lives. Like, what is that? What a terrible racist moment from Roland Emmerich. There's two idiotic people just taking pictures. Oh, the tornado! <laughs> it's awful. And the poor and the poor guy is like talking down to them. He's like, "What are you doing? Get, Get out of here!" While he stands there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moron, he probably likes Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, but anyways, JD, I, I like that they go in opposite direction of his character, although he becomes pointless after that. Um, the the big wave scene, like, it's the way it visually builds. Like you said, the fact that it's not a wave that's already cresting, like you see in other movies. It's just a rush of water that's, like, washing in. It's a washing of water across New York City, which just looks incredible. Even if the shots are taken, like almost shot for shot from Independence Day. It's still spectacular. Um, I actually didn't get that it was supposed to be, uh, between the Los Angeles DC thing, I didn't get that it was supposed to be morning in Los Angeles. I thought that was nighttime, because like, this was a night shift, so I was wondering why the sun was rising, but it was already risen you, you in see, DC. But... You do see uh, when the Porsche guy wakes up, he looks at the clock and it's like 10 to 7 in the morning. I thought it was 10 to 7 at night, apparently. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Uh, and, and Okay, I just want to say... The dying kid in the hospital, like, worst thing in the movie. Like, it is so bad. I always forget this is part of the movie. And then when it starts, I'm like, oh, that's right. There's this stupid dying kid in the movie. Like, What's I the don't point of it? Care. It's bad. And I, you know, I'm i glad you said that because as we're watching this, I'm groaning. And Jamie's like, what? I'm like, I hate this story. What's there to hate about it? And I'm like, you'll see. And again, she's seen this movie. She keeps watching it. I still don't get what your hatred is with this scene. It's like, it doesn't belong in this movie. It doesn't go anywhere. I don't care. You forget it's there. It's it's a kid. He's gonna die anyway. So what do I care if it's now or later? <laughs> but that's, I, that's just so true. Because like I legitimately thought about this movie. I'm like, this kid has like obviously very bad cancer. And like no disrespect to kids with cancer, this kid's gonna die. So why like give him something where it's like instead of bringing an ambulance to save him, like we've got the cure for kids AIDS, and if he yeah, gets it, AIDS. he'll survive. <laughs> like kids AIDS, AIDS Junior is what they call it in the medical world. <laughs> It was from a child monkey. A, a, a young a young monkey gave that disease to humans. Um, but, like, yeah, you're right. Like, the, this and the wolf sequence. Can I just, I'm just quickly, while I'm on this, the whole thing about the animals, like, oh, the wolves, they're gone. Like, come on. I hate the wolf yeah. section probably more than the cancer kid. Well, I mean, I, I think that the action sequence with the wolves at least has some merit to it. Um, but the cancer scene has nothing to it at all. Uh, a couple other little things here that um, uh, I like. Like you said, JD, I mean, I don't know if you're missing the fact that like he wasn't like, oh, I'm a rich kid. You're like, I'm a rich kid and this is my weekend home or whatever. He's in there. He's like, yeah, I stay here on weekends because my dad, he's off in Europe with his girlfriend. Why do you my... like this guy so much? I, I'm not saying I like him so much. I'm saying like your impression seems to be like, oh, this rich kid, look at my second home or whatever. But he he says in the exact same line of dialogue is like, my dad's away right now. I'm pretty much here by myself. Like he's he's basically saying my absentee father abandoned me. My brother is stuck oh, so somewhere. Another douche nozzle dad. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. But he's not saying this bragging. This is my second home. He goes, yeah, I have to come here, you know, to, when I'm with my dad, but my dad's never around. Like, it, you, you seem to get the impression he's just this he's douchey, you know. He's uh, a douchey. Doc. He's rich. He's good looking. And he banged Rihanna. I hate this guy. <laughs> Stop flirting with Emmy Rossum. All right. I'm hashtag team Jake Gyllenhaal here. He's the Russell Crowe to the Dennis Quaid. But but I like that they don't make it that story. Like you said, the scene that comes up, it's like, just tell her how you feel, JD. Like, again, he's a terrible actor. Yeah, but, I mean, he wasn't acting with Rihanna. That's why he's more convincing there. But That's how we got the role next to Rihanna. Like, let's get a bad actor with a bad exactly. actor. Oh, wait, there we go. I will show you my work. <laughs> um, but also, you want to talk about, like, your characters are going to die anyways. This kid in the hospital, we know he's going to die. I'm not being cold, but... He's going to die. JD mentions, I've got a younger brother who's stuck in Philadelphia. They're yeah. on their way to get his younger brother when they get stuck in the museum. Younger brother's never brought up again. Like, his yeah. brother's dead. Like, why are we caring about one kid while another kid was just killed off off screen? Yeah, he's yeah I'm getting very upset. Um, <laughs> we're yeah. bidding this. Ha- ha- hashtag justice for unseen young brother. Yeah, exactly. JD's brother. Um... <laughs> Also, here's a fun thing with Jason. Jason's flirting with the NASA scientist yeah. that, again, gets dropped throughout the movie where it's like, hi, I'm Jason or whatever. But later on when she keeps asking Frank questions, like she specifically says, hey, Frank, what's the deal with uh, what Dennis Quaid? Uh, and then they're both answered at the same time because Jason keeps poking his head in. Every time she's like, okay, and Frank, what about this? Jason's like, oh, I can tell you about that. And then yeah. it just gets dropped movie but it was a fun idea that he keeps trying to hit on the, the nasa scientists here um uh, yeah I, I like the scene of the people looting or not looting but i guess stockpiling water bottles on the news it's a little bit topical now but again let's just say nobody's grabbing toilet paper um yeah. didn't foreshadow the, anything the vice, in this movie and like the vice president like let's just go even more onto why the vice president is isn't wrong here like a it is a valid argument is it the most important argument maybe maybe not but it's a valid argument to say what about the economy like he did earlier you do have to consider that dennis quaid's basically saying hey let's just shut down the world okay and then how are we going to survive who's doing the jobs what jobs do you keep open what do we do to you know uh make sure people can live how do we ensure that things get distributed it's a valid point but the most valid thing the vice president does in this entire movie is when dennis quaid's coming to him and saying we gotta act now we gotta start evacuating the states you said this would happen in one to one thousand years well now it's gonna be six to eight weeks and six to eight hours later it happens like we we mentioned this earlier dennis quaid is wrong again and then what does he do when he finally gets the briefing for the president, which I, I really love that scene where he's briefing the president, the way that they're playing it combative, but not disrespectful. Like when he's like, oh, it's easy for him to say he's, he's safe here in D.C. It's like his son's in New York or whatever. Uh, but when he draws that line, it's like you need to evacuate everybody below this line. Don't worry about the people above. It's already too late for them. How does this movie end? Tons of people surviving in the north that they could have saved. So Dennis Quaid, wrong again in this movie. <laughs> we love Dennis Quaid, but his character is the worst. He is literally the worst scientist. He is a worse scientist than Dennis Hoffman. Dennis Hoffman? Dustin, Dennis I'm making Hoffman. just mistake. Dennis Hopper, Dustin Hoffman, <laughs> Dennis Quaid, and Quaid, who knows? Um, but yeah, don't blame the vice president. It's not his fault. Uh, and, uh, did we cover the payphone scene yet? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I like that he's, a, I get, they bring up like the, 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 the decathlon, the academic decathlon every once in a while, uh, like with, uh, Brian and his like, oh, it's a transistor radio. I know how to fix this or whatever. It, it, it's a cool little thing. Although it 
pays off not at all in the movie because they get one message on the radio and then it's pretty much dead. Uh, but when uh, he, he's like, the payphones, uh, you get that lady. It's like, oh, there's some payphones down there, but they're going to be underwater. <laughs> Why is she still behind the desk, like at the library? Like, I think <laughs> it's, you're not working anymore, love. I think you, your shift's over now. Uh, just just letting you know. to maintain order. <laughs> <laughs> you can't burn and books. Also, I think this, I don't know if it comes up here or later when um, they're saying, like, is there any food here? And it's like a couple of vending machines in the staff break room. This is like the biggest library in the world. They got one vending machine in the staff room. I've, like the I've been Winnipeg, to the net. The Winnipeg library has a restaurant in it. And we're Winnipeg. We're like yeah. 800,000 population. I've been to the Natural History Museum in New York. And they've got like a freaking food court in there, basically. Like, you know, there's like things. That I, I, I think I've seen the New York Public Library. I don't think I've been in there. Well, I haven't been in there. It's a library. There's books. Of course, I'm not going to go in there. But I, I, yeah, you're right. There would have to be some form of like food place in there. It's New York. God, there's food places there. You wake up in the morning and one's popped up next to your hotel bed. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, capping it off with, uh, oh, yeah, like I said, it goes down to the payphones. Uh, and he's like, payphones draw their power from the telephone lines, not electricity. <laughs> like, again, they got useless facts they just throw in there. It could have just been like, let me try the payphones, but let's show how smart they are. Not that them being smart pays off in this movie. Like, I like the idea that they made them brainy kids and not these, you know, the type of teenagers you would normally see in movies, like the cool kids or whatever. It's a cool twist of seeing different types of teenagers, but them being these brilliant teenagers does not matter in this movie because none of them really do anything other than listen to Dennis Quaid. And we know Dennis Quaid has killed millions of people at this point. Um, but yeah, when he gets out of the water, which it's a great sequence. I don't know why he stays in there so long. Like the water's up to his yeah. ears and he's still, oh, 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 he's not, Dennis Quaid's not even talking to him anymore. He's just, oh, 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 like, just go. Just like, okay, I gotta go, drowning. <laughs> Hang up the phone. <laughs> and it Good takes him, like drowning. way too long. He's about five feet from where Emmy Rossum is, and it takes him about 12 hours to come out of the water, approximately. <laughs> um, but, of course, yeah, he comes out of the water. She strips off his clothes, hugs him tight, talks about body warmth again, her brainy facts, and Jake Gyllenhaal gives a very realistic reaction <laughs> that was <laughs> not acting. acting. Yeah. No acting. <laughs> um, Whitney Houston or Madonna? Whitney Houston. <laughs> Celine Dion or Madonna? Oh, Celine Dion. Avril Lavigne or Madonna? Oh, uh, Avril Lavigne. Adele or Madonna? Adele. She did James Bond. Easy. Katie, so did Madonna? Katy Perry or Madonna? <laughs> I don't even acknowledge she did Bond. Okay, you know what? I think you got me, Madonna. <laughs> Yay! What's wrong with Katy Perry? Uh, <laughs> she does a fireworks song. That's a great song. Oh, that's annoying. You know who Boo! else? Would be? Miley Cyrus is lower than Madonna. Who who is Katy Perry? Miley Cyrus as well, lower oh, than Ma- Madonna. Miley, ah, oh, boo! But yeah, she's worse than <laughs> Janet Jackson. Oh, Janet Jackson, way worse. I will if if a Janet Jackson video comes on TV. I will turn the channel immediately. I have a rule in my house: like we don't watch Janet Jackson. I literally can't stand it. <laughs> Yes, welcome to the Hilding Residence. Shoes off, please. Uh, just going over the rules of the house. Uh, no Janet Jackson. That's it. <laughs> but I'm Jermaine Jackson. Get out, Jermaine. You're related to Janet Jackson. What about Cher? Michael's okay. Oh, Cher's lower than Madonna easily. <laughs> God, I'm loving this. 
I, I'm just, I'm just, you know, got to go through. Wow, great, good, all right. Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber over Madonna. I don't I even mean, like Justin Bieber, but I'll take him over Madonna. I, I'm, a, I'm an unashamedly Bieber fan. I'm a believer, Colin Hilding. Um, don't know if he's going to quite make my top ten albums, but uh, I love the Biebs. Leave the Biebs alone. Canadian icon. Uh, um, where are we at right now for a time? <laughs> the boat has, the boat has gone through. We're halfway uh, into the movie. <laughs> The the one thing too though that I will say like I mean it's all you know we'll get to the point about this being one of the ten most scientifically inaccurate movies of all time. The one thing I'll say about this movie though that I think kind of detracts to it, at least in other disaster movies like Deep Impact Armageddon, you literally know it's a meteor or meteorite meteor or a comet. <laughs> I think it's a comet in Deep Impact, isn't it? Uh, that was the difference between the two. One was a comet, one was an asteroid. Um, you you know you know what you're gonna get. It's Earth, bad, right? Aliens attacking the Earth. Blowing up cities, bad. Tornadoes destroying Wakita, bad. Here, it's kind of, you've got to explain it a little bit better. And it's kind of a case of how are these things so rapid and, um, like, it's, like, it's a 2012 thing. I mean, I can't even remember how all the stuff in 2012 happens. Fuck, they find something the around and the Mayans, Woody Harrelson. That's it. But, like, I know we kind of talked at the very beginning of this episode of, like, oh, they briefly explain the science of it, and you read everything, and all these climatologists have come out like, this is completely impossible. I think one of the things I read was that um, for New York to flood like that, uh, Anta- the entire Antarctic continent would have to melt, and even <laughs> then it would take two years for the water to do that. So, like, something like that. I think oh, there was some climatologist said... This movie to climate change is what Frankenstein is to heart surgery or something like that. <laughs> but again, like I, in a way, I kind of appreciate the role in Emmerich's like, all I'm going to do is speed things up in the movie. And I'm not even going to explain. Yeah. It. I'm just going to say, well, we don't even understand it. It's happened very quickly. Like, like how we don't want to sit down and watch a two year movie. Like the yeah. Antarctic continent has melted. Let's wait two years for New York to flood. Although it would have made, you know, Dennis Quaid a little bit smarter when he tries to give the evacuation plan. You got to get everybody in the northern states out in the next 13 minutes. I think that, I mean, like, that is kind of a detractor when you, you maybe are trying to think too much about how the world is ending. That's what my, yeah. my point is. Whereas, again, Armageddon, Deep Impact, Independence Day, it's quick, it's to the point. You understand it. Big rock, hit earth, bad. Yes, simple. Um, anyway, uh, so the whole, this is what we talked about though at the beginning, the kind of the rest, all the action is pretty much over now. It's all about survival. It's all about, you know, getting to New York essentially to, to rescue Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, we, we have a scene of our beloved trio in Scotland about to die essentially. Um, I do like that moment where like the petrol's about to run out and the, the father guy's like, I wonder if this would run on things. And Ian Holmes like, you can't use that. That's a 12 year old scotch. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do love that. Uh, and then the whole thing, like, you know, to mankind, to this, to Manchester United. Uh, <laughs> I love that guy. Who is he? Um, meanwhile, they look out the window and people are walking on the snow. Should have really mentioned the phone call that Dennis Quaid gave Jack Gyllenhaal was basically like, you go outside, you'll die. Don't go outside. I don't understand the logic of this, right? If it was that cold that you freeze to death, and I'm probably jumping ahead here. Well, I'm probably going to lump the whole rest of the movie in here together. If that is so deadly, that ice, the way it's kind of like chasing them and going inside, wouldn't it like freeze a door? There's like a crack under the door. Like how does a door stop this deadly ice polar vortex from killing people? 
it's well i think the fire the, is what stops it because you do see the door freeze. Thing? But if I yeah. lit a fire outside and then I think the flame's going to freeze too. Like, I mean. Well, if you had every book in the New York Public Library, you know, burning, maybe it would fight it off. I do let that sequence. You can't burn books. Um, <laughs> I also like the point that we meet random geeky looking guy and random redheaded woman who are arguing over Nietzsche being a misogynist mm-hmm. person who married his sister. Okay. Um, I I, should, I feel like I'm banging it. Like, that's kind of fun. You need a couple of quirky side characters. I yeah, I like it. Yeah, like, you know, you've got to have it. Like, it's you're learning about these survivor people and all this kind of stuff. Okay, fair enough. And JD, like, again, he's a douche nozzle rich guy, but okay, fine. Um, the cancer stuff, shit, who cares? Just die, kid. Um, when they're telling everyone to evacuate to Mexico and you've got that news report of an inner stunning reversal of US-Mexican border relations... Um, and you've just got all these angry Americans crossing a river. I do love that point later on where you see the uh, the news report where, like, Mexico has opened their border after the US president agreed to forgive all Latin American debt. Now, Mexico isn't all of Latin America. So, yeah, like, I know. Guatemala? Uh, El Salvador? Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just want to see that where it's like, you know what? We will forgive all of your debt. Uh, throw in El Salvador while you're at it. <laughs> yeah, like... And, and can he do They're that? They're extorting the U.S. Can the president do that? Like, isn't that a global bank of the world thing? Like, does, <laughs> the, does the U.S. president control all the debt that Mexico owes Canada? Like, yeah, I, the I, I debt I would Mexico right owes Burkina Faso? Like, oh, it's forgiven. I love Switzerland right now, but they owed me $20. <laughs> like, good to see the U.S. has that much power. Um <laughs> I do, I do the, the book burning scene. I do love it when like Brian, like another little moment there. He's like, "Hey guys, I've got a whole section here on tax yeah. law, that we, tax law that we can burn." Kind of funny. All the all the tax people watching this are going, "No, we won't have tax law in the future." Um, and it, I mean, this whole movie really is kind of intersected with just little moments of survival. Like you've got our homeless dude; he's stuffing himself with books. Um, he's when they get the vending machines, like, "What about the garbage cans? You can always find something in the garbage cans." Um, Emmy Rossum and Jake Gyllenhaal flirt over a Greenland survival story, which again, oh, he's not just a deadbeat dad. We had fun on a boat together for ten days. I do, I do like the little Jake Gyllenhaal moment though, when she's like, "Uh, yeah, your favorite vacation," and he's like, uh, "Besides this one, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, they actually have really good chemistry. Uh, oh, they do. I think. I they, mean, she stuck really her tongue do. down his throat the first day she met him. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, exactly. have good chemistry. Um. The sequence when they're like walking uh, to to New York, and we've got to kill off Frank because he's got to fall into a shopping mall. I guess you've got to kill one character off who we've fallen to like. So, no pun intended, he did fall to his death. Um, do you think they're ripping off Lost World, Jurassic Park there with the glass breaking and all that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, and cliffhanger and vertical limit again. <laughs> Lost World did it better. Um, <laughs> Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, the kid gets rescued. Cool. Um, oh, <laughs> I should have mentioned the whole, yeah, the people outside, walking outside thing, and the cop is like, come on, people, we've got to go. And Jake Gyllenhaal's like, no, no, don't, you'll die. Um, I'm with Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm not walking outside in this, like, giant storm. Even if it wasn't going to yeah, like- kill people, you're still going to die anyway. It's a freaking storm. They're like, we got to get south. How far south are you going to get? 
like, Washington is apparently sort of safe, but even then, like, you're seeing the president about to get evacuated, so clearly not that safe. You're not going to walk to Florida from New York, and, like, you're still going to get hypothermia and die. Like, and um, this is in the snow. They even acknowledge, like, we better start walking before the snow gets really uh, heavy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you're going to be slow. You know it's snowing. Where are you going to be stopping? Like, you're not going to get to North Carolina by the end of the day or something. Well, and, you literally and see the, them go, we've made it to Brooklyn, and that's taking you three hours to get to Brooklyn. And the funny thing is, they stay outside. Like, at any point then, they could just be like, you know what? People are starting to freeze to death. Let's go inside this house right here. There are yeah. t- they're in New York. They're in Brooklyn. Go inside. Why do we find them later on just still laying? They're just that step. No, I said I would walk, and I'm walking. <laughs> and the other thing, too, they legitimately say, oh, the water's obviously frozen enough that we can walk on it now. This is seawater. Seawater <laughs> yeah. doesn't freeze. Like, like, what are you? Like, it's clearly cold if seawater is freezing. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid fucker! You deserve to get frozen to death, dumbass. Um, another little moment here. The president. We've got to kill off the president, apparently, because I mean, this is going to be a trope in 2012. We're going to have the president even, dying. It's even very Independence Day, like with the first lady. Yeah, Last person yeah, leave and- goes down. Well, even in Independence Day, we get that throwaway line of the vice presidents, the joint chiefs. Yeah. They're all gone. Um, but, like, I don't understand because I, I think this is a – it's done weirdly because it's kind of like you've got the president, like, he's got to evacuate. Again, Washington's supposedly safe, yet he's got to evacuate. And then we kind of get this big dramatic sequence of a helicopter landing at the refugee camp in Mexico and uh, the president's motorcade had been found and they're all dead. Like, it just feels kind of weird that, like, oh – I wish we, like, I think uh, there might have been a deleted scene of this. Maybe we need to see the president dying. Um, the dramatic scene of Emmy Rossum's... Dying. Yeah, exactly. Emmy Rossum's <laughs> got to die, nearly, because we've got to have some drama here. We've got Dr. You Can't Burn Books Lady. Uh, I love how they're all like, she's got a fever, she's got this. And then this woman who's like literally on the first three pages of this book, has gone, no, no, that can't be right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they pull, peel up a leg, which just looks like a bit, of, and the first thing she says, that's blood poisoning. That's blood Why? poisoning. you're on the B section of the big medical journal? It could be septicema, it could be gangrene, and you've just jumped to blood poisoning. Um, And then the homeless dude, I've seen that before, that can get pretty bad. Yeah, hearing the words blood poisoning, kind of going to get it's bad already, mate. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love that he has to be the expert on the, the blood poisoning. Oh, yeah. That's some scary stuff, man. <laughs> blood poisoning. We, 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 we keep cutting to the astronauts who are like going like, oh, the storm's bad. And we get random scene between NASA scientists and 24 terrorist father, husband guy. It should be over New York any minute. We've got to have some exposition there to explain. So this leads them to going out on the Russian ship to get some, you know, there's got to be medicine on there. Fair enough point. But like, I just, the thing I hate about the wolves is that, like, it's clearly thrown in there clearly because, as you said before, we need an action scene, right? Yeah. But you don't need them. They've literally got a time limit to get back inside before Killer Ice Storm freezes them to death. Like, you don't need the wolves. The wolves is just... I hate the wolves the most in this movie. I hate it. It's so dumb that you have wolves randomly attacking people because we have to have an extra bit of action. Um... I do like, yeah, the bit when he gets the bottle. Like, these are all in Russian. Wait, I found some penicillin. How do you know? It says penicillin on the bottle. <laughs> uh, like, that's funny. Um, they rush back. They get a bit of food. They get inside. 
Uh, they survive the polar vortex. Good for them. Uh, so does Dennis Quaid. We should mention that. They go into like a Wendy's or something like that. Just throws poor old Jason down the thing. That's kind of funny. Um, what I do really love, uh, like this is where I think the music also really works too. Um, we get a bit of a preachy moment when they're in their tent and like, how will we rebuild? Like, oh, we've learned before. We'll have to learn again. And it's like, if only I could learn with my son because I'm a deadbeat oh. dad. And, no, um, even worse than that is the astronauts. Have you ever seen the sky look so clear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at all the people. Their faces. They're, <laughs> they're all, all the same. <laughs> I do love this sequence though when they wake up and you've got this moment where they're like walking past the Statue of Liberty. You actually see kind of like, I love that overhead shot of the Statue of Liberty frozen in snow and it's kind mm-hmm. of, you know, a couple of things here though. Like, I mean, movies need to work out how, how the Statue of Liberty can survive. Like, Deep Impact, this it was ripped to shreds. It was bouncing around the streets of New York when they're tied away. This one, it's still there and frozen. Uh, Independence mm. Day, I think you see half the Statue of Liberty in the water. This one, no, nah, it survives. Okay. Um, they get into New York. Uh, they get to the library. Uh, we've got this dramatic sequence of, oh, maybe they're all dead. But no, they're awake. And... Is it a bit of an anticlimactic ending? Because it kind of feels like mm. it is. Uh, well, I have some comments on that. I'll get to a little later on. I mean, you kind of basically, they get rescued. Then we have the preach speech from the vice president. Uh, let's rescue some, like, that's some good news. Like, we've found some survivors yeah. here in New York. Again, like, come on. Like, this movie, this city's got some of the biggest skyscrapers in the world let's be honest the tallest building in the u.s at that point was the sears tower willis tower whatever you want to call it in freaking chicago i'm sure there's people alive in that the cn tower (laughs) in toronto like taller than buildings in new york you're gonna go there winnipeg were we used to this climate already (laughs) yeah winnipeg you walk outside like someone's like don't go outside you'll freeze to death like oh hey that's me for us what are you talking about shorts weather come on (laughs) why is the vice president giving a national address on the weather channel (laughs) <laughs> never understand that um we get the big dramatic like you know we were wrong we should have saved because we you know where is greta thunberg was greta why thunberg doesn't he even... say i'm sorry dennis quaid was wrong <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was greta thunberg born in 2004 like i mean did her parents conceive her to this movie yeah exactly uh, <laughs> 2003 a child into this world who does a better job than dennis quaid Oh, I just saw her face. I want to slap her. Um, <laughs> oh, just, just, oh. Greta Thunberg or Madonna? You have to answer Madonna for that. Oh, Madonna. Yes, good, correct answer. Um, we see people on the roofs of building, and then we kind of end with, as you said, like the, um, look at the air, it's so clear. I do love, actually, that shot, I should say, as well, when they're walking past the Statue of Liberty. I love it when you see the big shot of New York. Like, that. that's a great scene. Um that's the end of Day After Tomorrow. Uh, I do really like this movie. Um, but before you get your thoughts, one thing I want to say too is that um, one of the points you see like a world map and you see like the snow spread and you kind of see like, I used to think like, oh, Australia, I'm safe because you see Australia and it's still pretty dry. You do actually see the bottom of the mainland of Australia. You see like Perth and Melbourne are covered in snow. So yeah, Tasmania was screwed. That's where I was at that point. <laughs> but um, I do, that point though, in the speech where the vice president, or the president, he's the president by that point, you know, and the part of the world that we used to call the third world have opened up and now we call them their home. I'm sorry, but like, you know, Iraq, Iran, freaking yep. Sudan, these places that hate America, they're not just going to be like, okay, come on in. I was like, we're forgiven all African debt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, 
we've released Saddam Hussein. Osama bin Laden has a free pass now. Like, that's all the things they probably would have had to have done to let them in at that point. Like, it's not just, come on, I call bullshit. There's still political tensions in this part of the world. But great movie. Yeah, great movie. Um, <laughs> here's some other stuff that's wrong with it, by the way. <laughs> Uh, no, this isn't so wrong with it, but I I think it's a moment that is actually really funny when you think about it, but it's not even played as funny in the movie when uh, they're all getting ready to leave, which I, I love that Dennis Quaid is saying, you know, I'll, I'll go to New York, and he says, I've walked that far in the snow before. You've walked from Washington, D.C. to New York City in the snow. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find out how long that is, the distance between the two. I mean, they, I mean immediately they drive to, like, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. So Which they're walking Phil- from Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yeah, what are we, maybe 100 kilometers, let's say that? I don't know. Oh, it's it's a two-hour train ride. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's much 94.5 miles is Philadelphia to New York. Uh, how long would that, DC? if you're on Google Maps, how long does it say it's going to take you to walk? Uh, let's have a look here. It would take you approximately, if this wants to load for me, stretch time, stretch time, uh, 31 hours. And let's double that because they're walking in the snow. <laughs> yeah, and and DC it would take you eighty three hours to walk from Washington DC to New York. So they're dead by the time they get there. And uh, that, let's, but, while we're there, let's check Miami for those smart cops yeah. and everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, four hundred and forty six so- hours it would take you to walk from New York to Miami. Yeah, th- that's all the people who left the the library, by the way, because they were so smart. <laughs> Yes. Like, nobody exactly. is that dumb. I'm sorry, but nobody is going to be that dumb to say, oh, I think we should walk. We can and make it. We'll make it to Miami by dinner time, I swear. And uh, 446 hours is 18 days. So it would take you nearly three weeks, nonstop, <laughs> no sleep, no nothing, no in food. freezing cold snow to walk to Miami. Done. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> Britney Spears could do it. She could do it in 5.9 5. 5. seconds. seconds. Yeah. Uh, but when there, you have the moment, it's like the Return of the Jedi moment, uh, where Dennis Quaid he he's leaving, and then Frank's like, uh, it's like I've never left you on your own before, and then Jason's like, I'm with you too, and then you got NASA girls like, well, <laughs> nice knowing you guys. <laughs> could you tell Dennis Quaid? Is that who you could tell? Could tell? <laughs> But we should have had some resolution here. Like Jason just tries one more pickup line on her, and she's like, "Goodbye, Frank." <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I would have written this. Uh, and <laughs> the border where, uh, where they closed the border. Like, first of all, how long would they keep it open? I understand this is all like happening spur of the moment, but like, would they have kept this open that long where it's like thousands have already crossed the border and then they just close it? Okay, well, this is something that is happening now. We know it's not something you could just do overnight, right? Uh, if they mm. close the border, they're probably killing themselves too, you know, trade and all that. But. Let's just say, I just want to know the conversation with the Mexican president. It's like, sir, we have uh, thousands of Americans who are crossing the border illegally. Let us build a wall. <laughs> we will keep the wall out. <laughs> and in the end, it's like, yeah, let, I, I love that too, where it's like, we're forgiving, not we're forgiving all Mexican debt. We're forgiving all Latin American debt. It's like, ah, I've changed my mind. Now you're going to do Peru as well. Okay, okay. Mexico and Peru. Okay, uh, let's do Venezuela. <laughs> it just keeps adding on. Like, but not Argentina. Leave they're on their own. <laughs> uh, and then the the, uh, the library, uh, the burning of the books too. Like The fact there's any characters who are opposed to this, I don't get. Because nobody likes all books. Like, uh, you know, uh, let's take movies, right? If we're in a video store and it's like we got to burn these movies i'm like all right let's start with the madonna section over there like i'm not gonna mind (laughs) like is nobody here saying like you know what 50 shades of gray 
Let's gather them all up, all the copies, okay? Uh, Twilight series. More. Put them on the fire. Nobody's doing that. What's that? JDs. Let's be honest. JDs. JD? Like, no, 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 Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it's weird that they are opposed to. But I like the, these little side characters because that's a disaster movie thing. Like even if you take the classic disaster movies, you would have these minor characters who only have one or two scenes, but that is their purpose in the movie. Like Independence Day, even the the other stripper, you know, she has no purpose in the movie. She's in like two scenes, but it still serves a purpose in the movie. Um, the uh, the kid, oh, there's something else that bothers me in this. Not just we have this dying kid. We have, you know, Celia Ward there reading to a kid in a hospital. And then she comes out and she's like, where did everybody go? Everybody panicked and they fled. You didn't hear everybody in the entire hospital panicking and evacuating while you were reading Horton Hears a Who? Like, how is this possible? You didn't notice. And, and, just... and why doesn't Dennis Quaid care about his wife? Like, she's meant to go to the freaking embassy yeah. in, in Mexico and, like, it... she stayed behind. Like, he doesn't give a shit about her. And they he get this scene says... of, I love you, I love you. I mean, yeah. are they divorced? Who are they? What are they I, doing? That was my other question. Are they supposed to be a divorced couple or is he just always well, they live gone? separately. So apparently they are, but they love each other. <laughs> Not enough to care whether they live or die, but they love each other. Uh, the yeah, the kid. The oh, great! The ambulance comes to get the kid or whatever. Or then they say, uh, yeah, oh, we have a, a snow. What is it? A snowplow or something like that that can drive us to safety. Never... Liam Neeson. Yeah, exactly. Liam Neeson. Yes. <laughs> but then she's like, He'll I never will sur- find you, Jake. I will find you, and I will hunt you down. <laughs> and then it's like. He'll never survive in that. He'll never survive in a snowplow that will actually <laughs> clear the road for the smoothest possible ride versus an ambulance that's driving in the snow. Let alone the fact that he will never survive. He's dying. He's not surviving anyways. It's just everything is wrong with this kid in this story. I don't care. Let him die. Um, take Greta with you. <laughs> I thought I'm the one who's meant to hate kids. Like you usually hate the old people. I hate on the kids. Like I'm with you completely. But this is a reverse unfortunate. I mean, there's no old people in this movie, so you. Yeah, we, we no just we got out. all of our we got all of our combativeness out with the Rihanna Madonna thing. So now Frank Frank's kind of old. So I mean, Frank's old. Yeah. Um, no one burns in this movie. They just freeze. <laughs> oh, and uh, I love where Jake Gyllenhaal looks at Emmy Rossum and says, "You look like you have a fever." Does, does a fever, does the temperature have an appearance? <laughs> Fuck, he, he should be on to COVID-19. Would save a lot of lives. He just walked exactly. down the street. You've got a fever. You've got a fever. You've got a fever. You've all got fevers. <laughs> He's the Oprah of checking yeah, out exactly. fevers. Fever. You have a fever. You have a fever. <laughs> You've all got fevers. Oh, and then the weirdest thing happened. I don't know if it was the scene where she had a fever. Jamie <laughs> says to me, it's like, uh, this girl here, like Emmy Rossum, was like, she'd look really good as a pirate. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. So so that's what it takes. If you ever want to have a threesome, just get a woman to dress up as a pirate. <laughs> Shirtless men and pirates. The Jamie Hilding story. Or Emmy Rossum is a pirate, apparently. She'd look really Arr, good as a pirate. Emmy Rossum. Off and with then, your leg. This is exactly what the response was. I'm like, what do you mean? What kind of thing is that? She'd look good as a pirate? Like, in what way? She goes, you know, like, yo ho matey and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> so I literally turned to her and says, "Yeah, now it all makes sense." <laughs> I just, I just, I'm just picturing Emmy Rossum. Yahoo, matey! <laughs> 
I still don't understand what she's talking about. And then later on, when they I, I, when they had the scene, um, yeah, where they're you know talking about the vacations or whatever, I love Emmy Rossum's response too, where she he he's like, yeah, the best vacation was this, and then she's like, that sounds really boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but uh, if I was ja- a pirate, <laughs> but Jamie was like, um, uh, you know what the problem is this movie? Not enough sex. <laughs> and Jesus. I said. Jamie, this is horny watching this. (laughs) Not just this, anything. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Have sex with your wife more. Stop recording. (laughs) All right, all right. Pause for commercial break. Just because you've had three kids two times, you've done it. That's like (laughs) when you're married, you've got to have sex more than twice, Colin. Hold on, and we're back. That was number three. (laughs) (laughs) That was that was a marathon for you. Uh, but but I'm pointing out to Jamie. I'm like, who's going to be having sex in this movie? The doctor with the little boy, or the teenagers in front of the homeless guy? And she's like, well, sex is sex. Teens have sex all the time. I'm like, not in front of homeless people. <laughs> is there is there a maybe a, a porn parody of Pirates of the Caribbean? Because I kind of feel like <laughs> Jamie would be into that. I think Pirates of the Caribbean is the porn version of it. <laughs> I'm going to type that in. Porn parody Pirates <laughs> of the... It's probably called, like, Pirates of the Doomy in the Bummum or something like that. I don't know. Oh, and um, with, uh, with the wolves, too. Like you said, uh, you know, I actually... When I saw this movie, I actually really hated the wolves. Not just the, the look of them looked worse, but I felt the same. Like, this doesn't need to be an action sequence. It felt out of place, but I think it's grown on me more... Uh, I completely get what you're saying. This would be probably more exciting without the wolves, but it's not like they kill the sequence for me. But, you know, what we do have is uh, um, the moment where Jake Gyllenhaal has to kind of like distract them, you know, so everybody else gets. So it gives him his hero moment free of the other heroes. Because if he just comes back and it's like, we got you the medicine and we got food. And she's like, I love you, Brian. You're my hero. <laughs> Brian is just as much of a hero. So he needed to do something to elevate his hero status, I guess. That's the only thing I could think of. But I, I completely get what you're saying. It doesn't make the sequence better. I just don't think it necessarily makes it that much worse. But what I do love is on this Russian ship, they open a food pantry and a raft inflates. Like, <laughs> is that where you typically store your rafts on Russian cargo ships in the food pantry? Yes. In Soviet Russia, ship store in kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I like the double climax where Dennis Quaid is, you know, uh, running away from this frozen storm and Jake Chillenhall is running away from the frozen storm. And then they both drop. And the way they cut, like you said, it's kind of anticlimactic. In a way, it's kind of clever the way they end it where Jake Gyllenhaal is – like rushing in, you know, put on more books, put on more books, and then you don't know what happens to them. And then they just cut back to Dennis Quaid for another day and a half as he's trekking, where the suspense is, did they survive? Which, of course, we know they're going to survive, but it's just, it's a little bit different from we normally get in these movies where the climax ends and then it's like, oh, we found, there's a helicopter just at this, you know, exact right moment. I like that there's at least that, that, that gap of, you know, he drops uh, Jason into the thing. He saves himself. They throw the books on the fire. Then it just sort of cuts away, and you don't see them again until they come back. Uh, big plot hole in the movie here. When they finally get there, and he's like, Jason, how close are we? We're right on top of it. I'm sorry. And then they climb up the hill, and they see the entire top of the library. No smoke coming out of a chimney anywhere. The only thing that's keeping them alive when they walk into the room and they actually see the fire burning. Like, where is the smoke going? They're all 
dead from smoke inhalation at this point because there's apparently no chimney there. But again, fun movie. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, really, if you think about it, the action in this movie was the storm stuff earlier, the tornado, the wave, and then the the subject of the disaster from this point on is just temperature and what can you do with that? They have some cool visuals though when you see walls freezing and everything and then the air rushing and the music there, incredible. Like I love, probably my favorite bit of music in this whole movie is during that whole rush inside the library with uh, the, the wall of the storm chasing them. Uh, the air is so clear. It really is. The, look at their faces. They're all the same. Um, and... It's that's probably the one part, along with the vice president's speech, where it's like this is a little bit too much. But still, I appreciate this movie is a lot more subtle than some of the other things out there. But again, we criticize this more than anything we've ever complimented before. But great movie, love it. For Jamie's benefit, there is a Pirates of the Caribbean, a XXX <laughs> legendary parody. But there's also a movie, a 2005 film called Pirates, also known as Pirates Triple X. And according to this, uh, it is considered the most expensive porn film ever made. $8 million for a porn film. Um, and, yeah, maybe coming soon we'll cover a porn film. Um, bonus episode. What did you think of the penis going in the vagina in that scene, Colin Hilding? Realistic or not? You know, your whole matey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you need to dress up more. Um, <laughs> for Jamie, that is. Um so, I mean, this, this movie was received okay. Uh, it has 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.29 out of 10. Um, according to the tomato meter or whatever you want to call it, a ludicrous popcorn flick filled with clunky dialogue, but spectacular visuals save it from being a total disaster. Roger Ebert said it was profoundly silly but nonetheless said the film was effective and praised the special effects. He gave it three stars out of four. That's Fair enough, I think, you know. Um, yeah, I, I do remember when this came out because I, obviously I was so excited for it. And then I do remember this is one of those movies that I really wanted to see the reviews for. Like, what are people saying about this movie? And I just remember it being kind of, yeah, very middle of the road. It was not hated, but it wasn't mm. loved. Um, I mean, I think 2012 got a lot more negative reviews than this. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, it got a few nominations in things. It got two Saturn Award nominations, Best Science Fiction Film, Best Special Effects. Uh, what did it lose to that year? Uh, the answer is, Ben, if I drag it out a little bit more. Uh, oh, God, really? It lost to Eternal Sunshine to the Spotless Mind? Oh, talk about an overrated piece of crap. Um, Eternal Sunshine to the Spotless Mind or uh, Rihanna? Rihanna? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Katy Perry? Katy Perry. <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or... Who was that one you really hated? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Uh, probably Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind because it's got Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. And <laughs> there like we go. <laughs> I can probably stomach it a little bit better. Um, what did it lose in Best Special Effects? If this is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I'm going <laughs> to shoot a puppy. Um, it lost to Spider-Man 2. Okay, fair enough. There you go. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, it got nominated for a Best... Oh, it won the BAFTA Award for Best Visual Effects. Um, it won the MTV Movie Award for Best Action Sequence for the Destruction of Los Angeles, while Best Breakthrough Performance for Emmy Rossum. She did not win that in 2004. Who won that? Let's let's find that out. If this is someone like a Stella Warren or something like that, um, I will be disappointed. Um, God, the MTV Movie Awards has some shit categories. Um, she lost... No, she didn't lose that year because 
She wasn't nominated that year. What am I doing here? 2003 must be the year because they counted that year. This is great podcasting. You'd think we would edit this out, but um, we do not. Uh, no, she's like, what? what year am I looking at here, Ben? 2004. Where am I? I need to look at 2005, maybe. Um, yeah, here we go. Okay. She lost to Rachel McAdams in Mean Girls. Fair enough. Good role. Mm-hmm. Also nominated that year, Ashanti in Coach Carter. What? She's gone she on was in a big movie? acting career, apparently. Alicia Cuthbert. Oh, <laughs> the girl next door. I love you, Alicia. Uh, Alicia, whatever you want to say her name is. And Bryce Dallas Howard for The Village. Oh. So two of two of those five have gone on to big things. <laughs> the other three are Ashanti, Alicia Cuthbert, and Amy Rossum. Uh, so there you go. Uh, box office. This was a, a pretty big success. It made $186,740,799 domestically. Three hundred sixty-five million eight hundred ninety-eight thousand seven hundred twenty-two globally for a worldwide total of five hundred fifty-two million six hundred thirty-nine thousand five hundred seventy-one. Now it's opening weekend. There's two different ones here because they count Memorial Day weekend, which I'm guessing is an extra day, mm-hmm. or you just have the three-day weekend. So let's let's look at the Memorial Day weekend. I think that would be the more fun one. Uh, it opened up with 85 million. It was beaten by a movie, Colin. Now, I don't know if you're cheating and have this in front of me. Can you tell me what movie that didn't even open that weekend was still making $10 million more than the day after tomorrow? I'm trying to remember. Was it Shrek 2? It was Shrek 2. Uh- you, you know how I remember that? Because um, I don't even think you'd have that in front of you. But uh, the weekend this came out, it was such a big deal that... Uh, people weren't talking necessarily just about how much money Shrek 2 made. They were talking about the fact that the day after tomorrow had the record for the highest gross ever of a movie to not open number one. Still held that record, I believe, until only recently. I can't remember the name of the movie that beat it, but um, that was a record it held for a very long time. Uh, But yeah, Shrek, I mean, let's be honest, Shrek 2, I remember leaving in 2004 and how everyone was so surprised of how successful Mm -hmm. that was. I mean, that was... I think it's been broken now by Frozen, hasn't it? But it was the most successful animated movie of all time. It beat The Lion King. Um, yeah. That was a weirdly big movie, Shrek 2. Mm-hmm. Great movie, though. Let's be honest. Shrek 2, good movie. I don't know your thoughts on the Shrek franchise, Colin. But Not really a fan. Okay. Uh, Troy was third. I hate that movie. I love uh, Troy. Also opening that weekend, Raising Helen and Soul Plane. Uh, <laughs> Soul Plane. Yeah. Raising Van Helsing. Helen. Van Helsing was sixth, Mean Girls seventh, Man on Fire eighth, thirteen going on thirty. Yes, talked about that one recently. Uh, nine and Super Size Me, the movie that was meant to make you not want to eat McDonald's, but fuck <laughs> it, I'm hungry for McDonald's every time I watch that movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, successful, not groundbreakingly successful, but I, I feel if this movie was released today, it would have made a bit more. But generally, but a lot of movies make more. I think when you consider the director of Independence Day who followed it up with Godzilla, who followed it up with The Patriot, who followed up with this, this was definitely much closer to Independence Day box office than it was Godzilla or Patriot. True. And, I mean, Godzilla pretty much bombed. I mean, not really completely bombed. Yeah. We talked about that when we did that. Um, and The pa- Patriot, good movie, The Patriot. I like you were The Patriot fan? Yeah, I love The Patriot. Heath Ledger, Mel Gibson, Australian star vehicle. Good Jason movie. Isaacs. Yes, him too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it? There was something, wasn't the, the mom in that pretty famous? There was a mom in that? I thought he was a single the, dad. Was he? It was, a, it was the Civil War. They weren't allowed to be single dads, were they? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there a famous woman in that movie too? I don't... Oh, Jolly Richardson. Of course. 
Um, yes. King over Nip Tuck. I don't know. Vanessa Redgrave's she... daughter. You know who she you You will know who Jolie Richardson is. Joey Surely. Richardson. Jolie. J O E L Y. The daughter of Vanessa Redgrave. I talked about her, I think, a lot on the Mission Impossible. She, she's the main woman oh, in Nip Tuck. Yeah. Okay, you've never yeah, seen Yeah, you Nip know Tuck, what I know yeah. her from? What do you know her from? The Patriot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, one of the Baldwins is in The Patriot. Adam Baldwin. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I remember um, that. I like that. We should do The Patriot. That's a, that's an we underrated should. movie. Anyway, um, do what are we? anything you want to add on the reviews or the box office? I know we're going to find plot keywords here. I haven't got that up yet, but... Uh, I, I All I got to say is, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Oh, actually, I've teased it a few times. So this was listed on Yahoo Movies' 10 Most Scientifically Inaccurate Movies in 2008. Now, I've got to get this up because it takes a while to load because it's like the page has been deleted, but it's on some archive site. Outbreak was on this list. Um, (laughs) I wish we had have had this last week because it basically goes in to explain how if a disease was that deadly, the host would have died, like, straight away. <laughs> uh, so there's no way that the monkey could have um, done that. Oh, it says, the trouble with the disease that that virulent is that it kills a host too fast to spread. Otherwise, we'd already be dead from Ebola virus. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, other movies on this list, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for the whole uh, nuke in the fridge section, uh, <laughs> Armageddon. Uh, basically, uh, for for numerous reasons, but I think the main one they point out was that for a new, for an asteroid the size of Texas, we would not have a nuclear bomb big enough to blow that in half. So it's bullshit. Um, Independence Day was an interesting one. Something that I never thought about that was that if you remember at the beginning of Independence Day, they say that the mothership is uh, approximately one quarter the size of our moon, right? And it's in our mm-hmm. atmosphere. They're basically saying if that was true, there would be tidal waves. There would be volcanic mm. eruptions. There would be earthquakes because that would affect our uh, Earth so much. Uh, the Matrix was another one because they were basically saying how uh, humans are not a good source of life, so like they shouldn't use them as batteries. Uh, Starship Troopers was on there because they were saying how that... Even if bugs were smart enough to send an asteroid plummeting to Earth, the fact that the Earth is 75% water, you would have like a 3 in 10 chance of hitting a major city uh, or land, let alone a major city like Buenos Aires. Um, The Core, that's an end of the movie, world movie, which is pretty shit, uh, saying that if the Core stops spinning, it wouldn't cause like a destabilization of the magnetic field. The world would just blow up because it would essentially have the effect of five trillion nuclear bombs going off. Um, Jurassic Park, (laughs) for many reasons, as being scientifically inaccurate. And Total Recall, uh, for (laughs) a few different reasons. (laughs) Uh, Don't you love that somebody went out of their way to write a lengthy article on the most scientifically inaccurate movies, almost all of which fall into the category of science fiction? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you've also randomly just sent me a picture of The Rock. Uh, <laughs> it's The Rock's famous fanny pack photo from 20 years uh, ago, recreating the pose with another fanny pack. <laughs> and I must actually say, to date this episode, we're actually recording this on The Rock's birthday, because I just oh, saw Ryan Reynolds, po- Ryan Reynolds did a post. Uh, apparently him and The Rock are filming a movie together, which they've only got half finished. Uh, 
So Ryan Reynolds has said we've completed a dream of filming half a movie together. So there you go. Uh, all right, keep plot keywords. Um, payphone month. Um, meteorologist month. Reference to Frederick Nietzsche month. Sure. Um, featuring Fast and the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> sure. Goodwill Hunting, Eternal Sunshine's a Spotless Mind. Ugh. A Nightcrawler. Please tell me there's a penicillin in Russian month. Uh, there's a wolf month. Book burning month. Hollywood sign month. Mother-son relationship month. US what what mother-son relationship is there in this movie? There's a scene with Jake Gyllenhaal with his mum. So <laughs> there's medicine month. Sick child month. Here we go. Here's one for us. Uh, the Godfather part two. The Princess Bride flying high, which we're doing this year. Uh, or airplane, whatever you want to call it. It's airplane, right? Flying Air- high is one in Australia. Yeah. Uh, Willow. Oh, love Willow. Uh, falling from height month. Academic con. These are pretty shit. Let's be honest. Um, is there Emmy Rossum sticks month? her tongue down somebody's throat month? No. Asian American woman month. <laughs> <laughs> if this doesn't feature like, I don't know, a crazy rich Asians. There you go. Day after tomorrow is number two. The Doors. Uh, and Midway. Okay. Oh, Ooh, totally an nude aerobics. Totally nude aerobics is number seven. Let's do that one. <laughs> I'm down. Please teach me English is number 10. <laughs> um, What are we doing? I'm buying. Bye. Of course I am. <laughs> Despite everything I feel so we... bad. You know what's funny is that we sometimes go through these and we change our views. We, I think even the last week I'm like, you know, I almost was willing to rent Outbreak, but now after talking about it, I'm bidding this. This is almost the opposite. Like, we should have talked ourselves down, but I kind of want to watch it again now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it is... This is where I think we're going to go... Like, we said with the tw- with 2012. Like, 2012 is such a dumb movie, but it's just so fun. I feel like we've kind of talked this into being a dumb movie, mm-hmm. but it's great. Um, and I definitely... Unless Bird Box blows me away, this is always going to be my number one movie for this month. And, like, I, I don't know if we really rank them. I guess we kind of do. I mean, this is clearly going to be ahead of Outbreak. Um, but... Yeah, like, I don't know. It's it's weird that we've talked down so much shit about how this movie's kind of got so many problems with it, and it's kind of dumb, but it's it's great. I love this movie so much. So, day after tomorrow. What is the day after tomorrow? Is that meant to be like... I don't get the title. Can we just quickly talk about that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a famous miniseries from the 80s. My mom was a big fan of it called The Day After, which was a disaster miniseries about, you know, nuclear war or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, The Day After Tomorrow, maybe they're just playing on the title, but yeah, what is The Day After Tomorrow? Yeah. Two days I mean, from least, now. I mean, it, it is kind of like... Independence Day, if you think about it, it just happens to take part on July 4, so it's kind of like, yeah, fuck yeah, America! (laughs) But you could have called that, like, you know, Martin Luther King Day or something like that. Arbor Day! (laughs) Day after Boxing Day. (laughs) Um, One thing we should mention, too, this movie actually was based on a book, uh, The Coming Global Superstorm by Art Bell and Whitley Stryber. My goodness, with a name like Whitley Stryber, you had a hard life. Um... No J. I didn't realize, didn't didn't realize it was based on a book until I read the Wikipedia article. Okay, uh, next week, Bird, Bird Box. I know nothing about this movie except Sandra Bullock has a blindfold on. <laughs> and and when when you said to me that let's do this for a desert, like end of the world month, this would not have been a movie I would have thought of. I thought this was just a horror movie. I didn't realize this was kind of like a 
end of the world movie. So yeah. uh, talk to me about Bird Box, Colin. I mean, I think this would fall almost into the category of something like 28 Days Later, you know, where it's it's got horror elements, but the story is is more a, a semi-realistic approach to if this actually happened, if there was some real virus like this or whatever you want to call it, wiping out the world, what would be some of the survival tactics and stuff like that. Uh, I see this movie much more similar to something like M. Night Shyamalan would do than something like 28 Days Later. But I remember when this came out on Netflix, and I don't even think I knew it was a big thing at the time. You know, you get these things like Tiger King's the one right now, which is sad, but uh, where everybody <sighs> just seems to watch it at the same time that everybody's talking about it the next day. Yeah, I, I remember this being uh, one of the first ones, one of the first Netflix originals that, maybe the first Netflix original that really caught on, but it wasn't like everybody was talking about it right away. It was sort of like Jamie had watched... 15 minutes of this is hey there's a movie that just got added some netflix original movie and it looks like something you might like and you know i did like the movie i haven't really gone on my way to watch it since then but uh funny enough it's one of these things it's one of the first ones that comes to my mind you know with this pandemic and everything even though it is i guess more along the lines of like an m night Shyamalan style horror movie random favorite movie of mine which didn't make my top 50 signs i love oh signs. That- absolutely could have fit into end of the world month almost um i'm just reading the synopsis here the film follows a woman played by sandra bullock as she tries to protect herself and two children from malevolent 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 thank you ben supernatural entities that make people who look at them go insane and commit suicide (laughs) sorry that just sounds ridiculous wasn't this kind of off the back of quiet place because it was kind of like let's find a little quirk of you know, Quiet Place, what, you can't make a sound. Yeah. This one, you can't look at them. Yeah, you know? I think like, they came out around the same time, too. I mean, th- this is almost the return of, like, the the Asteroid movies and the, uh, the the White House movies and the Volcano movies. I haven't seen Quiet Place, funnily enough. Oh, good movie. Um, I mean, this is the thing. We'll talk about it next week. I, like... I again, I lump this into being a horror movie. I, I've never really watched horror movies. Like, I think we talked about this during when we did Day of the Dead and all those sort of things. Um... It wasn't, yeah, Just it's just something that's not that I'm scared or anything. It's just it just never appealed to me. It's just, you know, okay, cool. So I'll be intrigued. And I, this is our first Sandra Bullock. Oh, no, we did Speed. My bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like Sandra Bullock. Big fan. So I think you don't like her. Is that from memory? Or? No, I just, I, I, I think Sandra Bullock's fine. I just don't quite understand why she's the biggest deal. Okay. Well, maybe we'll talk about it. Also in this movie, Jackie Weaver, good Australian actress. Uh, Sarah Paulson, love Sarah Paulson. She's one of my favorite actresses. Mm-hmm. And B.D. Wong. There oh, we go. good old B.D. Wong. Wong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that'll be next week. Looking forward to seeing a movie that I've never seen before. Uh, I do, I'm do. i reading here the word Romania in the plot. I don't want to read the plot. <laughs> but uh, So is this movie just going to be so neutral that we just forget about it? I don't know. Hello to all our Romanians listening. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Day after tomorrow. Stay tuned. Next week, as I said, uh, Bird Box and lots of other things happening on the Oz Network as per usual. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us. Oh, shit, I'm going to quote. Uh, my name is Ben, and I'm going to forgive all podcast debt right now <laughs> on the world. That's my closing comment. All podcast debt is forgiven, except for them with Bushka. You deserve that. <laughs> uh, and my name is Colin, and... I showed my work.
Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.